I remember Declan Kidney shouting in messages saying, Wally's to go number eight, I'm both seven and Dunica six. I just kind of stayed at number eight and ignored him. <laughs> the Red 78 with Alan Quinlan and Neve Briggs. Subscribe to the Rugby Channel on the OTB Sports app and turn on your notifications now. OTB AM. With Gillette, put your best face forward with our new and improved razors. All right, it's bang on half past seven. The weekend starts here. It's the Thursday of a massive Six Nations weekend. There is good quality hurling for us to look forward to. There is good quality Premier League, etc., etc., and plenty more for us to look back on as well. So let's be having you. Whatever you're having this morning, we want to hear about it. 087-9180-180 is the WhatsApp number. Or, of course, you can always use the hashtag OTBAM. You can tweet us at OffTheBallAM, or you can leave a comment on the YouTube stream. Owen, how are you? Good, Ger. How are you getting on? Yeah, pretty good. It was... Um well, it, the rugby is kind of the main thing that everybody's starting to talk about. But the football last night was uh, fairly spectacular. Not if you're a Spurs fan. With the, I, I just saw uh, John Duggan tweeting, I hate VAR. And I was like, hmm, something bad has happened here. And then check live score. It was like, uh, you know, the little X on the the ball that says, no, goal disallowed. Correctly. Um, I didn't see it. And also, Youngman Son's goal should have been disallowed. It was incorrectly awarded, so... So screw Spurs, but yeah, saying? I mean, very, very helped. Well, very refused to help him on that occasion, and and uh, did screw him over later on, but rightly so. In the meantime, it's uh, you know the thing I was banging on about. You just want to feel alive as a sports fan. Well, you do that when you're watching Villa. It's like one 0 yeah. down, they're getting absolutely killed. Should have been two 0 You're like, oh, this isn't great. And then it's like three one in the blink of an eye. Wow, this is amazing. Mm-hmm. And then and then they start defending like schoolboys. You're like, well, this is it's going to be a roller coaster. Whatever happens here. And how it all finishes. I mean, you talk about schoolboys. What I'm, you can hear me typing there. I am Googling Daniel James height and I'm Googling Tyrone Mings height. I'm not sure if you have it, either of those things. Uh, I'd say Mings is six foot two and I'd say Dan James is five nine. How does that happen then? That Daniel James rises above Tyrone Mings to not into the back? Ah, Diego Maradona and Peter Shilton is the, is the old one. Once you, once you realise that that can happen in your life, anything can you happen. You didn't use his hands. <laughs> it's the size of the fight and the dog, not the size of the dog and the fight. It's 7.32 this morning. We will come back to the, uh, the, Villa game and we'll talk about the Liverpool game tonight a little bit later on but in the meantime let's talk rugby and I'm delighted to say Ronan O'Gara is with us this morning Ronan good morning to you how are you? Hey Ger how's it going? Yeah very good so the reception is a little bit dodgy but hopefully we'll get through it No worries um, the French are talking the Irish up here saying we're favourites and uh, it's very interesting it's like uh, I guess they're making sure there are no hostages to fortune no stray words uh, they don't really believe that though do they? Um, I would say everyone was probably a little bit shocked, I suppose, by Ireland's opening 40 minutes, I think, for for first Six Nations game, considering uh, I think there was one uh, pan of the camera which uh, encapsulated the, the difficult conditions in the Aviva when we saw the, I suppose, the swirling wind effect. Uh, and for Ireland to play the rugby I suppose with that tempo, accuracy, uh, discipline for for it wasn't an eighty-minute performance, but uh, for fifty minutes anyway. Uh, I think um, people ex- probably expected Ireland to hit the ground running, but maybe not as not as effective as that. And I think as a result, uh, we watched and the French watched uh, over here, uh, England, France, sorry, England, Scotland, Scotland, England, and Murrayfield, an average game. And then uh, in Sunday, instead of France, with very difficult conditions, uh, the French team playing Italy, and uh, it was light rem- years removed from what was seen in the Aviva. So I think um, 
uh, certainly uh, high alert. So, so are people surprised by that, uh, Ronan, or, or is it just kind of coming to it new? Like, uh, were they not maybe reading too much into Ireland's November form? Well, you are, but we all have short memories, especially people hmm. <laughs> uh, when they're just concentrating on their own team. And, you know, I think obviously there was definitely an overreaction in France to uh, their uh, victory over um, New Zealand in the, in, in the November series a week after Ireland, wasn't it? So, uh, obviously, New Zealand were, were coming into the game in, in uh, Stade de France against France, uh, rattled, uh, disturbed, annoyed, angered by their performance in Dublin. But France, one could say, were probably more convincing in that in that performance. Um, so, uh, I think, obviously, there was a definite overreaction in that regard. And then they kind of realised, well, uh, yeah, we've won a friendly inside the France in November. The World Cup is, what, two years away. So um, we need to kind of make steps. And and that's, I think, where it becomes tricky when the French start to think about it because um, they're very, very good in playing in kind of chaos or in the disorder, playing free and playing in the moment. But setting out the roadmap for being victorious in Rugby World Cup, uh, one of the, I suppose, the key components or key tick-offs for them to achieve as a team was to win the Six Nations so um, they don't have the out of this game as in Dublin so uh, seemingly uh, there's a lot of pressure on, on boys in camp this week that's very interesting that the fact that that pressure is beginning to build because it, from our perspective it's looked like what they're doing makes perfect sense they're bringing through a crop of youngsters they're giving them endless amount of game time and preparation for a home world cup they've discovered some genuine superstars they're making sure their strength and depth but that added uh, level of expectation that kind of that little bit of uh, the stuff that we don't know what their psychological strength is going to be when it really comes down to it you know you, you can't can't fake that you have to go through it they have to have setbacks and they have to overcome them and that's the bit where they become a team who lives up to the hype yeah and like they have huge strength and depth there is most definitely that uh, in in French rugby but it's also dependent on a few key players you know I think uh, even from a backline point of view uh, Vermi Vatikaya is, is looking for his top form when he's in top form he's very very near unplayable but he hasn't been at that level can he get to it I probably think he can uh, but it's very hard to get that um, now in a, in a top six nations game Jalibert his impact after 50 minutes very few people in world rugby can do what he can do with his acceleration but he's not there so all of a sudden if France were to lose Entomac after 11 minutes for example it means Ramos coming in who doesn't play club rugby at 10 at all Yes, he's formed there, as they say in French, but uh, it's very different being formed and playing there in your youth as opposed to kind of running the ship week in, week out. Uh, never mind at club level, but also at in the you know in, in the heat of battle of a French uh, Irish top six nations game. So um, I think um, there's a realization probably in France that Ireland have. Um, I, I think under Farrell. Uh, consistently develop their game in the fact that there's threats for Ireland all over the pitch now, be it front row, back three, middle of the park, and then unleashing a, a really, really interesting bench. 
it's interesting on top of that then how some of the Ireland players have also developed away from the game plan as, as individuals and Matt Williams was making the point on the show earlier this week that some of the players have just shown a greater skill set as a result of the work being done over the last year or 18 months is that the same in France? Are you noticing your players coming back from French camp in a in a better place or maybe in a less detrimental state than they would have been, I don't know, when you were working at Racing, for example, when things weren't so good in the national team? Yeah, that blew me away. I think I'll never forget, um, I suppose, that on my coaching journey was a key key kind of point. when, when uh, And I have to be selective in the language I use and that, and that when you had certain players were... You know, what I mean, they weren't enthralled to go to national camp to say to say it as best they can. It, it, it left a mark on me because, as a player, I was, you know, what I mean, just out of the game, going into coaching, and uh, it just struck me as this is not what international rugby is about. That where you can't see guys uh, bursting to get to, to to national camp because it's it is the epitome of everything you want to achieve as a rugby player yeah club game is fantastic but the test level is something else altogether and you'll see that on Saturday with the anthems and with the I suppose just with the intensity of the opening uh, 10 minutes uh, when, when two teams go at it but just uh, it is a very different um, I suppose mindset now in the fact that Galtier has created a very happy camp in France with a lot of uh, expert coaches and um, I suppose, as you say, there's so much more to to it behind the scenes than just the 80 minutes that's involved in terms of, you mean, obviously, nutritionists, sleep consultants, um, everything with the little detail just to get that 1% extra come uh, come the weekend. But it's 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 pulls apart from, from, I suppose, from 2014, 15, 16, that's for certain. It's amazing how quickly they've made progress and, and how quickly they got everything aligned. And, you know, a lot of credit has to go to uh, Laporte, I guess, in the background for that. Um, Matt Williams uh, understatedly referred to him as a controversial figure, which which is true. But uh, in terms of winning the rights to host the World Cup and then putting the um, process in place to make sure that you give yourself the best chance of winning it, I don't think anybody can argue with that part of, um, of what he's done. I, I do want to ask you a little bit about, though, if you're in the uh, French camp this week, and you watch what Ireland have done over the last two two, two periods, really, the, the improvement in performance and the options that they have whenever the ball carrier gets the ball. How do you stop that? What What's the French defence? What's Sean Edwards thinking this week? Uh, I would say um, Sean Edwards is obviously a uh, hugely experienced and uh, interesting coach and I'm sure he'll have a planner or a trick or two up his sleeve there's no doubt about it but I think uh, I, mean, I suppose the one asterisk is that uh, Ireland form has been exceptional in the Aviva and I think uh, it, it is so much more difficult playing in away games uh, be it in Six Nations or be it going on the summer tour to New Zealand that's where I think you'll have a, a far better idea of of where um, where the team is is really at. yeah there's huge excitement but you, I think uh, by my count I think was it eight of probably eight British and Irish Lions were missing from Wales it was an unrecognisable team you know I think you saw then why you know Joss Adams a winger playing 13 how, how it's a completely different position and you can get uh, you know I mean exploited in that position but Wales were 
I suppose the greatest surprise for me watching it was that Wales um, managed to keep Ireland to 10 points for 20 minutes. That was a huge, huge achievement on their behalf because it was one-way traffic for, 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 for most of the game and Ireland would be, I think, incredibly disappointed to give away uh, the try uh, that they did give away because it wasn't necessarily uh, a smart play from Ty Byrne, probably one of his his only poor decision of the day but it was actually you could see it happening which is unlike the, I suppose the speed of thought that all the Irish players exuded uh, uh, last Saturday um, so this is a this is a big test and the fact that it's um, you mean fascinating there's something built into your DNA when you're a test player and the fact that even if it's six nations the, the, you, just when the, when when the games are one score games after 60 minutes in an hour and you're in your home venue, there's something inside you just goes, you just have to find a way to win. While sometimes away from home, uh, you get the feeling that this could be uh, not bonus territory, but the fact that you could be kind of going, okay, let's see how this plays out. But like you cannot, cannot, cannot lose your home games in the Six Nations. It's just, it's just not allowed under any circumstances. So with that... I suppose inside you that fight to get the result that you need for your team, and I think I'm not too into my stats, but one of the stats, the the victories loaded for the whole team is quite astonishing, I believe, in the Six Nations history. I think scoring first has, has also turned out to uh, to have a correlation with victory and, and it, uh, you know, it's not that ridiculous either when you think about it but getting an advantage and being able to play from the front is hugely important for both these teams but it, so is it is it almost like less what uh, the plans <coughs> France are going to have to slow down Ireland's attack that's less important than France oh, sorry yeah to answer your question George exactly so what would be different I would say you're probably like up front you know what would be different between the red and the blue jerseys within a week is the guy in blue would probably be 15 kgs more powerful uh, and in the fact and probably heavier in terms of weight the French pack between Antonia Marchand and Cyril Bay are big big lumps then they have Willem Sandel I suppose contrast that with Walkie in the second row for speed uh, and a bit of tempo in their game and their back row have an awful lot of uh, I suppose actions in the game so they get through an awful lot of work so in terms of ball carrying from Ireland's point of view it looked uh, very easy for, for the backs because Ireland kept winning the game line, they kept winning collisions they kept finding space sometimes at test level it's hard to find space even though there is always space there but sometimes uh, the kicking game becomes very important that's where I think It'll be very interesting to see at the weekend because France, I think, will be very, very, I think, solid and secure from the rock to maybe 30 metres away from the rock. But I think Ireland can get joy potentially between the touchline and the far 15 metres on both sides. So, like we think we saw in the build-up to Johnny's drop goal a few years ago, that little thing for, for Earlsey, I think... Uh, that play will be probably an option this week in the fact that they'll be hard off the line in France under Edwards they'll just go hard 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 and they'll just to, they'll look to chop and hit green jerseys as frequently as possible if they can do that with discipline it's very very interesting uh, a country if your heartbeat is going near 200 beats per minute your decision making is probably not as where it needs to be and that can potentially uh, enable players to make poor decisions i.e. cheap shots in the back lay tackles uh, losing 
probably your tackle entry into into stopping your opponents, which means high shots, yellow cards, red cards. It, it, the possibilities are endless, but it makes it fascinating from a viewer's point of view. Okay, that that is interesting because like we we've seen in this. Um match in recent seasons sometimes you get pinged for those off the ball stuff and sometimes you don't you get away with it and the the team who uh, gets away with it everybody's like oh yeah that was great well done you got away with it and the team who um, doesn't get away with it is like well what the hell were you doing that was stupid so I guess it depends on on which side you come out on from an Ireland perspective and you're looking at DuPont and Entomac you've obviously come up against them at club level In in the build up to the game during that week what what can Ireland do? What what do you say to your players when it's like, okay, we, we know these guys are really good. Don't give them space. Don't let them get ahead of steam. It's like, yeah, well, I guess all well and good saying this, but like, how do I do that? <laughs> sure, I just lost an away game to Beritz in the last play of the game and I've lost two finals to Toulouse and you're trying to push me over the edge here. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yes exactly how do you stop Dupont well I didn't stop him in two finals and he has two more medals than I have so um, it's very very difficult to stop a player of his calibre I think he's probably different to any other player in the fact that uh, usually rules uh, disciplined rules uh, absolute simple rules around the breakdown uh, enables your team to probably uh, have a satisfactory night or a decent night if they if they apply their rules around the rock. With Dupont, he can make any defensive system look very, very uh, silly because I think people underestimate, um, especially people from a distance, I think his strength. He's incredibly strong, incredibly powerful. But I think what separates him most from, from a traditional nine is he comes alive in broken play. And that's where this French team uh, probably uh, thrive is the fact they call it desert, is it? Or uh, in Ireland, I think Stuart Lancaster would call it being comfortable in chaos. And that's where where these guys come come alive. With kind of uh, jeu de boue is kind of staying up upright and make. You know, I remember Axel always said, if you play in France, make sure they rock. Make sure you make them rock. They don't like falling to ground. And they don't like cleaning out the ball they always try and keep the ball off the ground at every every possibility perfect example being uh, Aldridge uh, try for Gabon Villiers that's not in the playbook that's someone taking the initiative trusting his instant running a good line in, attracting two defend, or Italian defenders and then he just little uh, soft offload uh, gives uh, Villiers a one-on-one and, and uh, he seems like a really good finisher and he scores scores a try Um so, yeah, I think what you probably need to do, and it's something that probably isn't recommended, but it was something that I think was successful when we, as I was in the coaching set up with the Crusaders, we kind of triple marked, double marked Bowden Barrett for, for us because when the ball wasn't in his hands, I thought, okay, the my chance is a better time chance of performing I think when the ball isn't in DuPont's hands Ireland have a better chance of uh, of getting the result or the performance they want so you know what I mean you obviously have to be very connected defensively but I think no matter how great the players are if you take away their time and space uh, attackers don't don't like it that that Axel quote makes sure France rock. Is that still true of this France team, or have they managed to move away from it? Because no, is- it's so true. 
It's so yeah. true. That's that's their natural game. They love it. They don't like the kind of, you know what I mean, where Ireland were brilliant under Schmidt and excellent around the rock. And you see it with Paul O'Connell nowadays. Uh, just their detail for the ball carrier and the two nearest, how, how they, uh, because of their fitness levels, because of their attention to detail, because of their willingness to care for their team, to, uh, to secure ball. But the French, they, they probably try to follow an English, Irish, Anglo-Saxon model f- potentially between the years. They'd never admit it between the years of, uh, you mean, up to Galtier maybe it, it, when they were kind of lost their way a little bit. But now they kind of have gone back to their identity and what they believe in is best in the French rugby. They, they want to accelerate the game. They want to play with tempo. They want to play with a little bit of recklessness in, in a structure. Uh, but um, I think... Um, yeah, the word, what Axel's words, they, they still ring true. You know what I mean? You got to get them to ground, hit them hard, chop their legs, get them to the ground. Because if they, if they're able to kind of, you know what I mean, uh, control the ball at contact and just kind of fend and offload, then they're gone. And you're like, oh God, where's he gone to? It's too late. You know what I mean? You don't buy your defensive line that three seconds by chopping them and getting them to the ground and getting a poacher and the ball to try and slow down. So, I mean, the rock would be fascinating this weekend or the contact area, whatever way you want it to name uh, offensively and defensively. Go on. Uh, just on that then, like, I mean, does, does that mean that France need to, I guess, rethink how they play at the rock or, or maybe their emphasis on it? No, just just, just given South Africa not. maybe being the, the reigning World Cup champions, if we're looking at this in a World Cup context. Yeah, but then you're looking at the past, you know, that sport yeah. has moved on. That's two years ago. You're looking at what's happening now and what's going to be I suppose better or more influential in this Six Nations and for the summer series so it's constantly evolving I think what you got to admire about the French is that when they uh, play their game the way they play it it's incredibly effective and, and, and it wins competitions as well I think as we said last week's show that the fact that they haven't won something from 2010 I think they're aware of that now and they want to put that right but um I mean, Ireland are, are are most definitely in form, but it's it's um, it's a very very difficult game to call. And the fact that uh, I think the great thing about it is weather forecast on Saturday is meant to be good in Paris, so uh, hopefully uh, both teams will be able to play. And then uh, it'll be just fascinating to see, um, I suppose, how teams go about trying to break down the other team. But in terms of France needing to review their rock uh, no I, I think um, I think their um, their policy for the way they play it is very interesting uh, Matt Williams has a, a theory that um, Irish people are uh, creative and that uh, what Andy Farrell has done is tapped into our own national identity much the same way you're talking about the French there and that what we're seeing is the full expression of who we are as uh, as a country not just as, as rugby players and I, I like the theory because you know we're playing great rugby and we're winning so I'm happy to get on board that uh, is there anything in that do you think? Uh, no not really I think it's all it's always looked upon differently when you're after winning eight or nine games in a row. That's the situation for this team. And when they continue winning, it's every everything seems probably a little bit more rosier than it is. Then if you get a belt, you just have to, I think, depending on what you how you see the game or what your role is, whether you're with the team or a supporter, you just gotta 
I suppose, um, analyse it yourself. But I think, um, you know, I mean, this team under Farrell is, has, uh, I think, they know how they want to play. And yeah, that ties into their identity. But um, I think certain, certainly Irish teams for a long period of time have have known how they wanted to play. What's what's interesting at the middle is that um, the skill levels of, of, of certain forwards is 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 measuring up against the best in the world and, and hence Ireland have multi-threats around the park. What's going to happen? Who's going to win? Um, it's hard to call. I think um, the fact that the games instead the France, France have to win, I think. Okay. Will they be able to to uh, to beat an incredibly, I suppose, disciplined Irish team? That's the big question mark in my head. And the fact that the, you mean um, there's nearly, I suppose, three elements uh, of performance we're looking at this weekend. We're looking at the performance of the French team, the Irish team, and also the performance of the referee. And you, you try and take take them out of of the equation, but. Uh, in Test rugby, the man in the middle has such an important uh, role in these games, and his interpretation of the of the laws of the game and, and his capacity to read situations is because it's played under such fine margins. I think what uh, would be brilliant from a neutral's point of view would be that you, I think uh, you're going to see teams express themselves. I would be surprised if there was a. Uh, that kind of emphasis on the on the, yes, there will be an emphasis on the kicking game, but I would be, I just think with the with the people um, on show and especially someone like Mac Hansen to do what he did in his first game. If you kick loosely, you get punished on on on, uh, on Saturday. And I think before in these kind of games of chess or cat and mouse or kick tennis, uh, there was sometimes a kind of well, you have a go first, and we'll see can we. How we can do it, but I think nowadays I think uh, Ireland are so good at holding the ball. It'll be interesting to see how how France, I suppose, look to to gain field position because field position is is, is very very important along with the set piece as well. All right, should be a cracker, um, Ronan. Great stuff. Thanks a million. All right, cheers, lads. Thank you. Ron McGarry giving us his pretty much thoughts ahead of Ireland against France at the weekend. Do, have you told us what you think is going to happen? Uh, not really. Just that was very interesting. Uh, like it's hard to kind of not be persuaded by what he's saying there about the, the home fixtures and and that France really are favourites with this like I mean Antimax really can't believe that, that Ireland no, I don't think I think that's the, that is like uh, unfortunately it seems like they have every box ticked they have their strength and conditioning ticked they have yeah. the players wanting to play for the country ticked they have their style of play ticked and they have their pre-match psychology all baked in it's like this and the age profile is sensational for this group that the French have at the moment like, the, the only thing that can pull them down now is like some rogue agent like Philippe Saint-André in the media <laughs> saying, talking nonsense about Ireland or something or some doctors coming out to talk about sex and again this year remember that yeah. that was this time last year uh, it was France right after Wales wasn't it so like it's, it's was it like not that. two years ago before we were the Paris game it, it felt like we were in lockdown when we were though Oh, we were just starting. Lockdown. Paris game never happened last year, or uh, Paris game never happened two years ago. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, it, was, it was later in the year. It was around right now that the Italians, the match was cancelled, but all the Italians came to Ireland anyway from uh, COVID ravaged Italy. And we're like, this doesn't make sense. I'm not yeah, sure about this. Exactly that that ability to, to pin it all on the Italians. You couldn't get a COVID test unless you were in Italy the previous week. <laughs> <laughs> 
OTBAM is brought to you by Gillette. Good morning, start with Gillette. Put your best face forward with a new and improved razors. This is OTBAM. It's 7.57 this morning. We started with Ronald Nogaro because he's, uh, he's in transit. Um, loads of comments coming through there. Just on the thing about DuPont, right, and they were talking about double marking Bowden Barrett. Do you think that the Ireland defence decides that they're going to sacrifice something that so Van der Fleer finishes top of the tackle count all the time but do you, do you say I don't want you doing 27 to 40 tackles I want you doing 12 but I want them all on DuPont and you hit him you hit him you hit him you hit him when he's there you smash him no matter how what it is so everybody else has to pick up the slack and you just decide that it, it, in NFL if there's a running quarterback they send a spy whose job it is just to watch the quarterback's eyes and if he's going to run then you, you, your job is to take him and if he gets past you you're screwed mm. so like the whole defence is based on this one person being able to do this job exceptionally well and it's possible that DuPont sidesteps Van der Fleer and it's like well there's a try no matter, no matter what position you are in the field because like everybody else has their job done and they're actually making up for him so I don't know. Is there is there a, is there a possibility something like that happens? Absolutely. Also, like I mean, the, the the one challenge you'd have in that scenario is just the pace of Dupont and the pace for them to move the ball side to side. So Van der Fleer being able to do that effectively would come down to how effectively Ireland would be able to slow the ball down at the ruck, which means that you could have that spy situation because if you're Josh Van der Fleer, Dupont could very well be right in front of you, and then he's 50 meters away, and it's very hard to keep track of him on that front. So maybe slowing the game down is exactly what Ireland are going to want to do when France are in possession. And I, I do find that conversation that, that uh, Ronald O'Carr was talking about there very interesting about the two different styles that are possibly the, the, the dominant ones in world rugby at the moment. Like I mean, we, we can't forget that South Africa beat the British and Irish Lions last year. And okay, there was different factors at play, but it, they're still well, they, they haven't was, gone away, you know. No, they basically. haven't. And uh, they haven't. I, I just wonder—is there like? A, but isn't it interesting that like the French believe our style is who we need to be? Yeah, and we have our philosophy. We're going to do our thing, and you can do your thing, but us copying your version is going to be a lesser version of yours. Yeah, and that's uh, like that's absolutely the way people sh- should be thinking about it. I I just wonder if there we will know a lot more come Sunday evening or Saturday evening. But I, I wonder, is is this French team possibly the, the best at that version of rugby in the Six Nations? But like I guess what, what Ireland is, in an ideal world, is a hybrid of both of those, where you do have that, that flair and that artistry, along with the pretty tough aggression up front. And I mean, it's those combinations of things that, that tend to win World Cups as well. Yeah, front foot defending, aggressive fighting. That's the... And then... I mean, Matt Williams said very nice things about our creativity, and when you think about it, he's actually right. Yeah, I mean, he did an exceptional job of tickling our belly. He did. We felt very tickled. Eight o'clock this morning. Get in touch. Oh eight seven nine one eighty one eighty is the WhatsApp number. And we're going to need that to enter our competition. Uh, today's the last day to enter our brilliant, brilliant competition because uh, now you have to be available for this if you win it. You can't just uh, oh yeah, I've entered the competition. What are you doing? A trip to Paris, buddy tomorrow this weekend to see the game so you have to be available two nights of combination in Paris it's all courtesy of our friends at Aer Lingus the official airline sponsor of the Irish rugby team bringing home advantage to wherever the team plays and to celebrate we have an amazing prize a pair of match tickets flights and two nights accommodation to be won for this weekend's Six Nations clash between France and Ireland in Paris as well as a signed Ireland rugby jersey today's daily winner We'll win an Irish rugby jersey and be in our draw at 9.25 for the amazing overall prize. To enter, just tell us who our mystery voice is. To say that's unfair is just ridiculous and you shouldn't be asking those questions. Nah, let's hear it one more time. We're going to ask anyway. To say that's unfair 
is just ridiculous and you shouldn't be asking those questions. It is ridiculous to say it's unfair. We're entitled to ask those questions. To enter, you can WhatsApp his name to 087-9180-180. You can tweet us at Off The Ball or you can comment on our YouTube channel. This morning our daily winner will be announced before 9 and they'll win an Ireland rugby jersey and go into the draw at 9.25 for the grand prize. Uh, right, some of your comments from earlier on. Uh, why was Josh Adams put in at 13 asks Darrow too when he's such a prolific winger it looks like a massive selection error I think they were um, who are the available bodies this week you can go in there and also they have a I mean they tried George North there and it worked so I guess they're thinking this has worked for us before and maybe as well if they kind of looked at their fairly fluid situation in the back line they might have thought that Adams could have popped up in the wing where Wales could get into a bit of possession during the game but as it turned out they just didn't really get their eye in whatsoever when it came to controlling the game uh, Is Murray a better call than Gibson Park in terms of defending against DuPont asks Peter I don't think it's close at the moment it doesn't feel close does it you wouldn't say that James Gibson Park is under pressure for his position does it feel like that no not in, not in the Ireland camp not, not not the way Andy Farrell is playing right now Under, if, if Schmidt was still head coach you'd, you'd, you'd obviously give Murray every chance even if, if Gibson Park was playing well it's just that's not writing Murray off it's just that they've decided this is their guy they've gone with him they've backed him they've picked him every time he's fit he's got the jersey he's been in charge mm. whenever we have had our biggest wins uh, in the Farrell era he's their number one guy yeah I, like is, is a suggestion that just Murray is bigger more physicality could maybe put a bit more pressure on DuPont in that way it's not like Gibson Park has let himself down defensively in, in an Ireland shirt no uh, who's who's faster I don't know but if I, I'd be interested to see who'd win the foot race but instinct would say it's Gibson Park seems faster that'd be my instinct as well I don't, I don't know though um, so and it's not it's not about being big against DuPont is it I've never seen someone smash DuPont and him like crumple up like a cartoon character he's he kind of bounces back from that it's the speed you also probably want your back rows doing that as much as anybody else 100% uh, Aisle, good morning to you Aisle says as a Spurs and Bengal fan this week is very confusing Spurs have taken the mantle as the true disappointment of my life and the eternal hope I had in them however irrational has shifted to the Bengals well the thing about being a Bengal supporter is that you've got like an all time great quarterback in his second season it looks like so like you've got at least a decade barring injury and he's already done his, blown his knee out in his first season but uh, and you've got this unbelievably cocky uh, Alabama kicker who's like it's going to make this from the halfway line no problem we're going to the next big game he's great uh, also the news this week that Spurs are trying to get the 2026 Super Bowl has come on stream so you may have I the Bengals right? playing in the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium in four years time that would be good uh, they also announced yesterday there's going to be games in Germany now as well so right. the whole internationalisation of the NFL is uh it's happening faster than everybody thought it might. Uh, apart from the fact that maybe we were going to get a team in this part of the world, um, which might be the one thing that saves the Jaguars from complete insignificance. Peter G says, Son's goal being allowed was a joke. Even if it wasn't a foul, Broha clearly had a head injury. Yeah, like it was a foul as well on... Uh, it was a foul as well as the, the, the head injury, so it was... Um, it shouldn't have stood. But it didn't matter in the end. Southampton got justice the rubber done. Justice was done. VAR... Uh, saved Southampton and Justice uh, it's like both United and Spurs don't want the fourth spot Shane says that on our YouTube channel it's like they're both crap that might be the truth of this they could just both be rubbish at the moment like when we were talking about this the Man United squad yesterday uh, with Daniel Harris I, I pulled it up and was like how many of these are actually any good of the squad like you're picking them to get in a top four team but the top four that's not the metric yeah to win the league is the metric 
Man City are going to win five out of the last six is when they win this one. Like, how many of that Manchester United squad are getting into the first team at Manchester City? And how many of them are even making the bench at this stage? Mm. Like... Any of the midfielders, maybe maybe under Pep, Fred is useful to do something. That is that is an important factor in all of this. Like Pogba under Pep would have been an interesting experiment. I don't think Pep would have signed him. Never showed any interest in him. Um, never never said that you're the type of thing that I want in my team. What, whatever that particular skill set you have, that kind of hybrid between a six and an eight, and a really you want to be a ten, but you're not fast enough to do that or whatever. I don't know who you are. I don't think he would have found a would have found a role for him but I don't know if we I think he'd be a sub it'd be that would be an interesting one to do actually rather than just pick your combined 11 pick your combined squad they obviously wanted Ronaldo before Manchester United swooped in did last they? year or, or did they I was just about to say or was that just uh, the greatest bluff in, in recent Premier League transfer history like you look at someone like Bruno Fernandes who has been Manchester United's best player in this era and they don't play a player in that position for Manchester City or if they do there is a certain luxury to it and like you, you have to admit that, that De Bruyne has nailed the midfield well, I was thing gonna say. a lot better than Bruno Fernandes has nailed the midfield thing because Fernandes is an amazing number 10 but the number 10 feels like a luxury matter in football doesn't it so like can he bring the same level of of I guess all round midfield play that the likes of Gundogan or Bernardo Silva or as I said De Bruyne can I'm not sure he can and if Pep is picking the team is he picking him ahead of any of those three I'm not entirely sure he is even though his numbers especially last season were absolutely incredible when you talk about Spurs and Tottenham being bad like it is the same thing that we've had last season and possibly the season before is that it, this is a slow bike race towards the Champions League spots that I would say that the fixture tonight to watch is not Liverpool versus Leicester City at all it is very much Wolves at home to Arsenal they play each other again uh, in a couple of weeks time as well I think it's at the end of this month and like Wolves are also in a position where if they win their games in hand they are in the top four they are in fourth place if they win their games in hand they've got Arsenal as two of their games over the next little while Like those are massive fixtures if there are two winners from those games and they're the same winner that team will be in fourth place more than likely okay, so. Wolves aren't good enough they're not like, you, you, you don't think so? no I mean the, 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 the maths show Wolves were 2-0 down to Villa with like three minutes left to go and somehow managed to scrape a 3-2 win that ultimately ended up at Dean Smith ended up at Norwich the right? table lies is what you're saying hey, absolutely I think Like I, I was looking at Wolves last night when Villa were 3-1 up going oh if only we hadn't lost that game against them but then like we wouldn't have Coutinho and blah 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 you know it's a massive hinge point to see. and then Villa collapse obviously but like that's how crazy it is where if Villa had maintained their lead last night they'd be looking at Wolves going we can get you Wolves win their two games in hand they're a point ahead of Manchester United and they're on the same amount of points as West Ham with a game in hand on top of that. Now, they're not probably not going to do that. Granny my granddad. I, I know that, but like, I mean, <laughs> Adrian said that last week when we were doing our quick picks as in predicting things being it's, like... If, it's, it's Liam Brady. I know it is. I know, I know it's Liam Brady. Well, that's obviously he wasn't the first either to say it, but you know. <laughs> like, the, the thing is, like, you're, you're talking about things in the future. Like, I, I, I'm not saying if Wolves had won this game in the past, which is where the Liam Brady phrase comes in, and I'm absolutely attributing that to, to Liam Brady. I don't care who came up with it. We're talking about future predictions here. And of course, I mean, there were natural bits of analysis okay, that evolved. Okay, okay, get it, yeah. Wolves, no, you wolves don't need to explain the bit. Go on. Wolves are absolutely uh, in the conversation here, especially given Arsenal are two of their fixtures. They're not a trustworthy foe. <laughs> I mean, Basically, if you're saying that Wolves aren't good enough. Surely, the Arsenal fans are looking at, all we've got to do is beat Wolves twice to be in yeah. the top four. 
I 100% agree That should season, be the way If six weeks ago Somebody had said that If eight weeks ago Somebody had said All you gotta do is beat Wolves twice You'll be in the top four You'll be like Yeah come on But I'll tell you what I was desperately disappointed When that fixture against Wolves Was called off on what was it Stevens Day Because Arsenal were going very well And I said they needed another game Before playing that Manchester City game On New Year's Day Which was an absolute calamity So that that was the way it was But things have changed As you say yourself New information came to light That is definitely a Jerry Gilroy invention Not from a movie or anything like that And that that the new information that we have now Is that Arsenal are back to being Very very shaky and untrustworthy so that, I ju- I'm just saying that's the game to watch tonight because I think it has big significance in the top four race it won't be as sexy football though as Liverpool Leicester Wolves are a hard watch yeah that's what's got them into this position yeah fair enough uh, I always thought if football was still played like it was during the 2000s James Ward-Prowse would be seen as one of the best players in the league look at the career Beckham had similar skill set says Peter James Ward-Prowse was excellent for Southampton last night says Mark Dunning wonder whether the likes of United Spurs Arsenal make a move from during the summer he is as good if not better than any midfielder at those clubs do you remember Schneiderlin signed for Man United do you remember that that is the thing that happened. I totally forgot about that until yesterday. It came up in, on my timeline for something. And I was like, where's he now? What's the story? It was actually, I think it was a piece Mick McCarthy wrote about Everton signing Schneiderlin afterwards. And their, oh, yeah, their, that was it. their addiction to signing cast-offs from the top six. I was like, that club lost its way. There's one example. But all of the other examples, and that was to round this out, Manchester United are light years away from being... Uh, a Premier League winning team they might fluke a run in the Champions League it's possible because the Champions League is chaos it is absolutely possible they've got Atletico and Atletico are having a disaster at the moment so it's possible they get through that and who knows what happens after that right but to to think that they're going to be able to catch any of the teams ahead of them in the in the league without a massive systemic overhaul and an identity emerging which is whatever their identity is going to be for the next decade it's like there's a, a very good chance that we're in the middle of the famine at the moment, that it's not as close to ending as it is to starting. That it's actually, it could end up being longer than that between Busby and Ferguson. Uh, like, I mean, it's... it's Already they've spent a billion. The, the, it's very hard. It's the, they've gotten down this path now and it was easier to fix five, six years ago than it is fixed now. There's no question about that. Like, I do think, though, and I know that this is just living in the moment and we won't know for sure, it does feel that the current signings and the current players that they're signing aren't on Morgan Schneiderlin level. I, I think they actually just got Schneiderlin and, and Schweinsteiger mixed up still. Like, we'll take them both. And that's the, that's the way they went. But, like, right now... Harry, I, 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 Harry Maguire? Varane. Signing so surely Raphael so, Varane for, will go for, down as a better signing for Manchester United than Well, than for, Varane's injury profile is, is not great. It's not great, I guess. Like, yeah, okay, great. Fully fit, Rafa Varane playing 42 matches, playing 50 matches a season, which is what you need to do. Great, absolutely good signing. But, like, I'm sorry, he, he has he's come into it where the agent's like, well, I know how much Harry Maguire's getting paid, so I've got to get paid at least as good as him because I've, you know, World Cup winner here. He, this guy, what's he done? Well, you know, you know what he's done. Uh, who, who's it going to be? And I, it's just, it it is calamitous how much they're paying players. Like, they're talking about giving Pogba a contract on half a million a week. 26 million quid a year for a player they don't know what to do with. Yeah, that'd, that would just be stupid. That, like, they, they need not to think about the lost money. Oh, we'll, we'll lose Pogba's transfer value if we don't sign him to a new deal. Yeah, but you've got to pay him 26 million a year. That's 100 million over four years. You're losing that 100 million. You don't get that back. You're not getting 100 million from after the first ah, season. But the revenue that he brings in all the other ways. He could do TikToks for you on well, money. And you know what? That is, he's, 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 he
Ronaldo were their headline signings last summer. It, like that, it's bad to say that that was actually not a bad summer in the recent context of Manchester United. I agree that in time, uh, Ronaldo may look like a, a bad piece of business. Granted, the transfer fee wasn't all that much. Varane, uh, you think that maybe that won't work out too well. Sancho, very much jury out on that. So you can't say that that was a good summer. It's, uh, sorry, I don't think I, you're right. It, it shows it shows a, a more uh, joined up thinking, with the exception of the Ronaldo signing. I think. Um, I it's think not great. Don't get me wrong, but it's. Are we at least seeing baby steps? Well, they need a, more than baby steps. Yeah, obviously, to yeah. Get, get. But the, uh, the trouble is, they need about ten players who are like capable of becoming good players, and they haven't. They haven't got that. Yeah. No, none of the mid mid to long term signings. Like Daniel James playing well last night. Yeah. Got twenty seven million pounds for him. Let's get rid of him because you know we de- we definitely don't need pace and ability and. Uh, like the thing is, the, the the real litmus test is if Donny van der Beek. I think this is very. There's a low probability on this, but if Donny van der Beek breaks out at Everton over the next couple of months and plays very good football, then you really have to question everything that's going on at this. There, there's something patently wrong with Manchester United if somehow you've got Daniel James playing better than he did at the club and Van de Beek playing better than he did at the club because those are the sorts of signings that you should be looking at and saying well we can invest in these players for the future and and you know they may not be a starter eventually but they'll eventually work their way into the starting team and, and they will come good and, and if they're not even getting those right or if those players can't even manage to succeed at the club then something is, is wrong so well, it, is, it, it already is wrong yeah. I think it's fair to say you don't need Van de Beek to tell, tell them that 14 minutes past 8 this morning OTB AM is brought to you live every morning by Gillette good morning start with Gillette put your best face forward with their new and improved razors the French still haven't won a trophy let alone consistently winning trophies over the years yes they're playing great rugby but to keep insinuating they're one of the great all-time teams is silly says Ross Galvin we're not saying they are yet but we're saying that we, they do have that potential Matt Williams was saying the age profile of this team is good enough to take them through the next two World Cup cycles. In that period of time, it is undoubted. It's a fact that they are going to win trophies. They should win three out of the next six six nations. That's how good a group of players they have. The other thing is, and I talked about this before about other things, is the industrialization of the process. They've got the process right. They have a relationship with the clubs that works and makes sense. And they have an underage structure that makes sense. And they have a style of play that makes sense. So, you know, it's like... At the same time, a group of world-class players have come through in DuPont and Edmac. That that might not happen again. They might not get two world-class players coming through in every crop. So they're at bat, and let's see how let's see how well they do. They should have won last year. Yeah, like Wales. Wales stole last year, and fair play to Wales for doing it. Congratulations, we love you. <laughs> the, the, the story still needs to be written, obviously, on what will happen over the next couple of years. But have France kind of gone about this quite quickly in a in a lack of fuss manner? Like it, 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 there is always a fuss attached to France. I think we didn't pay attention to the fuss, but like there was a lot of um, a lot of a lot of sacred cows got slaughtered okay, in fair. public by Laporte, and you know just do a quick search of Laporte, like arrested at one stage during a lot of stuff and massive rows with the owner of Toulon and all sorts of like stuff going on you're like <laughs> so like the the 30 for 30 would be amazing yeah fair yeah. enough I was I was about to make a, a very inaccurate comparison then between that and what we were hearing from Jonathan Hill yesterday being like it's actually not that hard just go and get it done get get, get all the right ideas and get them done he, he had the right idea I think like there are a bunch of sacred cows Someone, some of these are going to have to be slaughtered in public and we'll feast on the meat we will share out the bounty of the meat of the sacred cow that we kill uh, even the cow's relative will be feasting on it. Like, that's... Everybody wins. A bit of cannibalism for your breakfast this morning at 8.17 from Owen. <laughs> We've got a packed show still to come on OTBA and we're going to hear Willa Callan's latest hurling power rankings. Uh, 
very very controversially a bunch of counties didn't even exist um, <laughs> Will from Kings County it was King was they, they Kings or Queens and awfully I don't know uh, both probably who cares we're talking Spurs with John Duggan there's our Super Bowl preview at Mike Carlson and we're back after these with the papers OTB AM and it, like it's an incredible point because like Kieran Kilkenny is shadowing him he gets the ball he's about 45 yards out he's going down the side and he cuts in nonchalantly and swings it over the bar in terms of the best David Clifford scores you've ever seen in your life where does that one rank the sickening thing is is probably not even in his top 10. Like, he has, he has the ability to do anything. And in fairness to him, like we said about McManus last week, he takes on difficult shots and he takes on responsibility when he's personally under pressure as well. Like, say, after he missed the penalty, he went looking for the ball straight away and That's got awesome. him on the scoreboard straight away. It's just a mark of, a, of such a quality player. And last week as well, we were saying, what do you actually rate in a score? And the timing of a score is, is actually now my favourite thing. When can you get that <laughs> score? Because even the mentality to step up and throw that over after, you know, maybe an error or two mm. was just an absolute beaut. But yeah, he scored some outrageous scores. That was, that was up there, but I'd say maybe 11th in his list. <laughs> oh, a, t- a tough crowd. You were, getting, uh, you were getting grief for saying this. Uh, so just in case uh, our radio listeners, what we've just seen is David Clifford kick an outrageous score from the right half forward, right corner forward position with his left foot. With his left foot. Uh, on the telly, it looked like he's just kicked out into space. Yeah. Yeah, and You're I at the game. Yeah, I was, and I, I tweeted immediately, being like, "David Clifford is Steph Curry," and you know, tweets stay up for a while. And What's the comparison? Because Steph Curry changed how basketball was played in terms of range. It was like, right, there's a guy standing ages away from our goal, from our basket. We've all we've all of a sudden got to make a decision about how to guard this guy. Like we can't just let him hang out outside there because he can shoot from anywhere. Once he's inside our half, he can shoot from anywhere. And it does come back to what the lads were saying about Conor McManus that these lads are changing the game ever so slightly. Where you can't just defend your scoring zone because the scoring zone doesn't exist anymore. These lads are changing it. But I think Clifford goes one further, and I know that this didn't happen at the weekend. He goes one further insofar as he's doing that with goal scoring as well. Granted, he's missed a couple of opportunities: one against Kildare, one against Cork in 2020, but against mid. Kerry in the county championship in 2020 he scores this outrageous goal from from 20 something yards and he is he is going to start banging those in in, in the green and gold to Kerry soon I reckon he's been doing it since he's 12 this is, the highlights reel is unbelievable into, into, so that that's, that was my point and, and then there were people and, and it's not people being like anti-Clifford of course you got people out there who are like oh he gassed out in the All-Ireland semi-final against Toronto last year oh I can't wait for him to choke in Croke Park he scored Didn't, 8 points in that game didn't he get a serious the, injury like I mean wasn't he up against one of the best man markers in the country yeah like I find, I find that I completely nonsensical call Kerry chokers all you want but I mean calling Clifford a choker on incorrect I think it's incorrect erroneous but what you have on the erroneous. other side of things is also Kerry people being like oh he's LeBron so that, that's a disgrace I mean Steph Curry's very con- content with that comparison I'm like like I was just comparing their scoring ability like would you relax I don't actually think David Clifford is Steph Curry for God's sake would you calm down yeah um, he can score from long range that was it the beginning and the end of it well I mean I, I, I think he might be um 
I think your comparison is perfectly correct. The Thank people you. calling him LeBron, you know, that we all we all know Michael Murphy is LeBron, so uh, well, that's true. That has to still be factored into everything here. Twenty one minutes past eight, OTB AM brought to you live every morning by Gillette. Good morning, start with Gillette, your best face forward is a new and improved razors. That was a clip from this week's episode of the football pod that was James O'Donoghue saying that score was only his eleventh best. Um, we might get him to run through his top ten at some point. That might be a good feature for us to do. You can get uh, James' conversation weekly with Tommy and Paddy Andrews uh, on the OTB Sports app. Um, uh, you can also get it wherever you get your podcasts. The best place these days though, is actually the OTB Sports app. And make sure you hit, hit the automatic download sec, um, selection and it'll be ready for you whenever you want it. Uh, let's run through the sports pages very quickly. Uh, Toje could have been captain for four years now, says Chris Jones. This is going to be the one, the one big thing that Eddie Jones has screwed up. Unless he makes him captain for the World Cup, and this is all making sure that um, he's ready for that. He was untouchable. He was a talent. Oliver Holt on the career of Wayne Rooney. Chris Hewton officially named Ghana's technical advisor. Uh, they've put together an all-star team. They've got a World Cup playoff against Nigeria very soon. So if that goes well, he'll be at the World Cup as part of that team. Rooney says Chelsea stood story a lot deeper than isolated quotes. And... Uh, We've done a feature on the best moments that Ireland have had in Paris. So Sexton's drop goal, Draco's hat trick, and many more. Not many more. That's pretty much it. There's one other one, I think. Yeah, we did a classic game club actually a couple of years ago on uh, Paris just before lockdown. I think it would have been that would have been the hook for it. Uh, what a game! Obviously, Driscoll was absolutely sensational, and that, that was like a France team who were just like, yeah, we can have all the flair we want at the back. Who cares about what we've got up front? The halftime analysis was also amazing because it was like this this young fellow Driscoll not great defensively but uh, pretty good going forward and then scores a hatchet. We were we were glad we picked him out beforehand. <laughs> His defence turned out to be pretty good in the end. Uh, I'm going to run through the um, sports page headlines for you. The hurdled uh, hurt Salah in the frame, so Mo Salah back potentially for tonight. United players Keane and Pochettino for the job. We should listen to them because they've done such a great stand up job. They're such a good bunch of uh, go-ahead, go-getters, thrusting individuals who, you know, have um, represented everybody very well. Uh, Farrell is ready to name unchanged team for France. That is uh, Roy O'Connor and Keane Tracy. And uh, in fairness, Jerry Thorne has the same unchanged team as well. But Henshaw coming onto the bench. Uh, Pochettino back in the frame as United ramp up manager Hunt. And um, they also have done determined to end slump after slipping to world number 1,697. So uh, the vagaries of the golf game, everybody's talking about Seamus Power and how well things are going, but there's the other side of that too. Swing in 60s, Pep's incredible points tally as City go 12 clear. They're turning the league into a bit of a bore at the top end. Luckily, everybody else is making it pretty interesting. Give me more. United players want Poch as boss in summer. You've got to be careful what you wish for. I have to assume that Pochettino's coming in and kicking out those players that Ranić is already identifying is not doing enough. Kevin makes it look so beasy. City sting when they're winning to go 12 points clear. This is the mirror with the puns. Uh, che Coe's Conte. Uh, che Adams. Uh, Spurs killer last night at the new White Hart Lane or the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. What's the London Tottenham Hotspur Stadium? Right. Uh, Phil on rampage. Um, so Philip Coutinho played well last night. Mm-hmm. Uh, the two passes for the two Ramsey goals were sublime. The two Ramsey finishes were also absolutely excellent. Well, talk about like he has to be the emerging star at the end of the season, isn't he, Ramsey? Yeah, yeah. Like he, he's, he's obviously. Um, it's not just. It's not just Steven Gerrard who he'll be getting instructions from. It's Gary McAllister. And, like, it's the ability to control a game, be involved, as opposed to just being a finisher. 
I mean, if he can score goals at the rate that he's scoring goals at the minute, it won't really matter what else he does for any team that he plays for, but it would be great if he could add that extra bit too. So it's not just, um, you know, we've seen players come through early, score a lot of goals as midfielders and not actually be very good midfielders and then that bit of the game dries up and who are they? And you kind of, you know, Deli Alley's the obvious one, but uh, doesn't that feel good? City open up healthy lead after swatting aside bees and we'll play exciting Duff. Is the headline on Paul Lennon's piece. Damien Duff is determined to see his Shelburne side deliver sexy football this season. I think the game should be played in a certain way. I want a good brand of football. Hopefully dominate games, which is probably unheard of for a first division team coming up. Uh, but he's added a lot of talent to them. Um, uh, front page of the Examiner. Quel surprise. Ireland's spirit of adventure won't catch us off guard, insists Entomac. We've talked about that. He's saying all the right things. Uh, like I mean, I think that the, that the French have been capable of saying things in the past. That's not that they necessarily regret. I just think that they've been quite aloof to what actually gets reported over here and how much of an, how much uh, they can wind other people up. So maybe there's been a bit of a message into the camp to be like, listen, just say be as boring as possible and talk up your opponents, and that's how we're going to play things because it's a, it's a, it's a bit of a no-brainer at the moment. I think people can get inspiration from anything. Really good, uh, as usual, column from Tommy Martin in The Examiner this morning. He's talking about, um, has Andy Farrell's fun factory set Ireland free? Given out about the Mexican wave correctly, uh, saying that there wasn't... Um, a funny thing happened on Ireland's way to victory over Wales around the hour mark with the benches emptying in the game. If not quite dead, then certainly flopping about on the riverbank. A Mexican wave started. And not just any Mexican wave. This one was long and disturbingly persistent. <laughs> <laughs> a Mexican wave is fun in the way a conga line at a wedding is fun, by which I mean oppressive and judgmental, like a Stalinist show trial. <laughs> There's loads of other good stuff as well. Uh, that's not to say that's not to say the successes under Schmidt were not enjoyable for players and fans alike, but they felt more like frightening displays of martial power with all the joie de vivre of a Roman legion crushing a provincial revolt. <laughs> yeah, it's true. It is true. Like, I know uh, Ronald O'Gara was saying earlier on that um, that's how people feel after they've won eight or nine games. They start reading a lot into it. But we won eight or nine games in a row under Schmidt. And, like, if you do remember accurately, a lot of people were bored. They were giving out about it being boring. I was like, oh, no, you know, the, 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 the winning culture is going to evolve and it'll get better. And it never got better. It just, it was like, we have a style of play. We will crush you. I must break you. We were we were even Drago, and then we got caught by the Rockies. I I disagree about the boring point. I I think that 2018. I don't think many people are bored by winning a Grand Slam. I don't think even if you go back a further year, people are bored by winning a Tour in Australia. I certainly don't think people are bored by beating the All Blacks at the end of 2018. Well, we the 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 New Zealand game in Chicago was very different. It felt like we we were attacking in waves in a way that we hadn't seen before and we thought this was, it felt a little bit like Ireland at the Euros under Martin O'Neill. Like, oh, that's how we're going to play from now on. But then we went back to we're going to have the best set piece in the world. We're going to have the best rook in the world. We're going to have the best box kicking game in the world and we're going to beat you 16-9. But um, after a while it was unsustainable. I think well, really worked it out. Yeah, I, uh, that that is definitely true. But I think the most boring aspect was the predictability of getting smashed by England in the build up to the 2019 World Cup, or the predictability of getting beaten by New Zealand in that World Cup. Granted, the Japan defeat was a bit unexpected. That wasn't exactly boring. The defeat to England at the start of 2019 was the first game of the Six Nations, so a lot of people didn't actually, least of us, all, at least least of all us, actually saw that 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 result coming. So that was unexpected. But after a period of time, it became expected that Ireland were not in a good place and that was the most boring part being a sports fan it's very exciting if your team is winning 
it can be quite boring and quite dreary if your team is losing all the time. And for me, that was the, the greatest difference in the excitement levels between the, the two periods in the Schmidt era. Uh, what was the difference? One era was full of winning and one era was full of losing. <laughs> okay, okay. So you're a... Uh, never mind the quality, feel the results. I definitely feel that that was the biggest part. Of course, when you look back at it in the cold uh, but, light of Sorry, day. but there were lots of people giving out about style at that stage, yeah. right? It's true that there were other people, apart from you, who, like, you know, you've been raised on a diet of victory, right? True. So, there, there were dissenting voices. There doesn't seem to be anybody saying, oh, this is terrible, I can't, I can't believe we're, we're, like, throwing the ball around like it's cheap. It's like, no, it's okay, let's do this. Yeah, that, that is, like, it does seem that everybody's on board, yeah. I do think that there's a, there's a world in which uh, Mac Hansen or somebody else throws a horrific intercept try and we get beaten because of it at the weekend and we're like, oh, you can't be doing this, I want to go back to the conservative game. That's, like, how this is going to play out, right? Uh, like it, it, it might do. I think that. I, what are you I, doing throwing that pass? It's like you've just thrown. Who, who's that? Who's that person going to be? Well, every the, the the collective the Greek chorus. Yeah. Uh, like I, I think that there's been a, a good degree of forgiveness for for Sexton throwing that ball away in the first half of the weekend, but uh, throwing an intercept try would be an entirely different matter, mm. especially if it loses, ends up in a defeat. Well, so say so say Mac Hansen gets skinned for a couple of defensive things because he's the last person back there, and that's like he's going to be left one on one with some of the best, fastest players in the world. Uh, you know, I, I definitely think that we we're going to rush to scapegoats. And uh, there'll be a, a bit of a backlash because that's it's like oh you won't win a World Cup playing like that now look we've we've lost this game as opposed to well we need to get this right and keep going we are early in a cycle and uh, there are still kinks to be ironed out exactly if you want to be at the game though you've got like about half an hour left to enter our competition this morning uh, it's a very special competition for you we're giving you another chance to enter Aer Lingus is the official airline sponsor of the Irish rugby team bringing home advantage to wherever the team plays and to celebrate we have an amazing prize of a pair of match tickets flights and two nights accommodation to be won for this weekend's Six Nations clash between France and Ireland in Paris as well as a signed Irish rugby jersey today's daily winner will win uh, an Ireland rugby jersey and be with a draw and to be in our draw at 9.25 for the amazing overall prize to enter tell us who are mystery voices say that's unfair is just ridiculous and you shouldn't be asking those questions oh, we're going to keep asking them though Say that's unfair is just ridiculous and you shouldn't be asking those questions. To enter, you can WhatsApp us 0879180180. You can tweet us at Off The Ball or you can comment on our YouTube channel. This morning, our daily winner will be announced before 9am. They'll win an Irish rugby jersey and go into the draw at 9.25 for the grand prize. Now, Will O'Callaghan is with us at 8.32. Will, how are you? I'm trying to work out, lads, whether that's the actual footage from that rugby head coach or whether that's a Richie McCormick impression of him. I'm not quite sure. Oh, no, that's the real one. We have a sting for this. I didn't, uh, apologies. Here we go. Somebody's critics, these pundits. I absolutely adore them, lads. I have unbelievable time for them, but they're, they're a great bunch, but it's not acceptable. I'd like to play the hard man when, when they're on it. It's not very pleasant when you're trying to manage a team. All you're looking for is a bit of civility and a bit of decency, but they just dismiss you like, like you, you know, you have nothing to do with the bloody occasion. If Richie's impression is that good, we need to get him doing stuff with it. That's like, the opportunities are endless. Think of the crank calls. Yeah, no, he can do that particular head coach really, really well. I think it's probably in his top three or four impressions he can do. Ah, oh, Mauro, we've decided to make you captain. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'm sorry about all those things I wrote about you in my book. It was really, it was really bad. I was, I was, you know, I shouldn't really have been writing a cash-in book in the middle of my time here. I should really wait like all everybody else does to do it at the end. And then I can, I can do my book tour. Yeah, like Hello. Joe Schmidt writing, writing a book during the World Cup, essentially. Um, <laughs> Will, good morning to you. 
Morning, lad. I'm just, I just want to, you know, uh, it's important that we all recognise when we make mistakes and we grow and we change as an organisation and a group and particularly as an individual that you, you have learned that Ireland is actually uh, 32 counties on the, on the island thing, that there's more than just this mythical barrier that you had erected. I, I, I do believe that, you know, sometimes people in the Midlands, there's that post-colonial hangover, which is even more than it is for the rest of us, because you, you guys were infested with the planters, we know that, like, you know, and there's probably a little bit of planter blood and all of you, so that's, it's fine, I, I get that you kind of have that umbilical link all the way back to our, our uh, colonial past, and sometimes you can't throw off those shackles, you're, you're just a, an agent of the state, whatever the state may be, in this case it was like the hurling superpowers, but you've grown. There are more than 12 counties in Ireland. Yeah, we're up to 24 on the new yeah, history really of it, it almost sounds like an appropriate metaphor for the development of hurling, where it has been forgotten in so many counties. You are right. When, you know, with the exception of a few hamlets in Ulster, where um, hurling is promoted incredibly strongly, like in Antrim, and then they don't even get a slot in League Sunday last week when they played away from home against Kilkenny. And then, you know, the sport has been slow to grow, and I think that is on everybody within Gaelic Games that... You know, hurling has not been pushed strongly enough, particularly, say, north of Mullingar, with the exception of some of the counties in Ulster. And I would say, with the exception of Galway in Connacht, it's not been pushed strongly enough traditionally in Connacht either. So we're happy enough to have, say, eight or nine teams who are contesting at a really high level. But we have, as you say, corrected the power rankings to include teams from the Laurie Maher and the Christie Ring this week. And we will be updating these as we go through the summer. It's one of those things as well. I think the most abuse that probably came in last week was obviously around Galway, including like one guy tweeted me at half three in the morning on a Saturday. Just <laughs> like not even linked to anything with their so power high profile paper. Yeah, it was like, you know, clown, how can you put Galway into ninth place? I think I just replied to him, just look at the rankings and you'll see why I explained it. But um, the other one that we got, obviously, in the YouTube comments were, look, you got to go further than just the top 12. So we have corrected that mistake. Excellent. And now we've got 24. Okay, so we're starting with uh, 24 to 16. Yeah, so you're looking at the teams who potentially towards the bottom of this are those who are going to be competing hopefully later this year to try and win the Laurie Maher and you've got some teams towards the bottom of the Christie Ring. So just to run through this pretty quickly, you've got Donegal and Mayo in 24th and 23rd respectively. You've got Roscommon who went down last year into the Laurie Maher from the Christie Ring. And then you've got Sligo, who got to the quarterfinals of the Christie Ring last year, as well as Wicklow. Above them, the beaten Christie Ring finalists of last year, who are Derry, who are in 19th. And then the placing for 18th and 17th was decided somewhat by their opening round game in Division 2A of the Hurling League last, week, last weekend, where Meath got the better of Kildare. Albeit Kildare will have their nice players coming back in after winning the All-Ireland last weekend. But at the moment, I think me, they're just ahead of Kildare. And that's your 17 to 24 on the list. I mean, I do think that those nice players will have an impact. But look, I understand Tommy got you and that's fair enough. Uh, we'll keep going, Will. Don't worry. We'll come back to that. <laughs> right. OK, so we go along to uh, the top 16 then uh, when we look at the next round of teams. So we're going towards the top end of the Christie ring here. Perhaps the biggest surprise on this one is Carlo being down in 16th currently. Uh, this is a Carlo team who three years ago were getting loads of pats in the back after they got a draw against Galway. And people were thinking that maybe they might actually go ahead of their neighbours in leash and become the next best team outside the top sides in Leinster. But they've had a little bit of a fall over the last couple of years. Didn't get to the final of the Joe McDonough last season and 
opened up their campaign in Division 2A of the Hurling League, losing out to the team who were just above them in 15th in down last week. The unsavoury um, fallout from that game as well, with accusations around uh, secretar- um, sectarian language uh, possibly being used on the pitch as well. But that was a great start for down in Division 2A. Uh, down coming off the back of winning the Christie Ring two seasons ago, and now trying to become an established team both in 2A and in the Joe McDonough. So I've got them ahead of Carlo. Kerry, who started off disappointingly last weekend, losing out away from home against Westmeath, one of their rivals for promotion from Division 2A, come in in 14th place. They lost the Joe McDonough Cup final last year, but obviously it had an interesting start to pre-season when they beat Tipperary for the first time. And they'll feel, Stephen Malumphy's side, that they can bounce back from that defeat last weekend. Uh, Carlo, this weekend, have got Westmeath at home. And you would think if Westmeath win that game going into the, the one-week break, Westmeath would actually be really well set up to top that division. And we'll see if Kerry can bounce back this weekend. I've put awfully in the Christy Ring winners from last year into 13th place. Um, they beat Kerry last year in league and... They finished the league unbeaten, albeit they started the campaign last weekend with a very poor defeat against Galway with the manner of the defeat. They conceded 4-22 and coughed up a series of other goal chances during the game. It could have been even more of a beating than the double scores defeat that they took. But Offaly are unlikely to win any games in Division 1A of the Hurling League. They've got Cork at home in Burr this coming weekend, which is a difficult start against the Cork team who really opened up against Clare last week. But realistically, you go back over the last six seasons since there was a slight streamlining of the league, only six wins for the teams who come up from Division 2A the season before across those six years. So it trends at one a season. And with Offaly's very difficult group there with a couple of recent All-Ireland champions in Division 1A, they're unlikely to win a game. But I think they go into the Joe McDonough with a serious chance of getting to the final despite the fact they were playing in the Christie ring last year. All, so as a result, they're in 13th. All joking aside, by, by doing what you did with the, just the 12 teams in, in the rankings last week, you kind of said the quiet bit out loud is that there isn't enough investment, that there isn't enough care given to these counties. That, that stat that you have is actually really damning of the hurling authorities who constantly tell us about how great their, their championship is because everybody gets games at their own level. But what, what's supposed to follow that is an analysis of why they're not able to make the leap and what the level of funding required to make the leap would be. But instead, what we see is like, I'm sure no one really cares about this. And I think, I think that um, conversations like this help expose that. Yeah, look, it feels a little bit like a revolving door because what tends to happen is, particularly now that the Leinster Senior Hurling Championship is de facto a development division towards the bottom. So the team who wins the Joe McDonough Cup is going to go into the Leinster Championship for next year. And then what tends to happen is the team who gets relegated from the Leinster Round Robin Series will drop back into the Joe McDonough, will become the favourites to win that competition, will almost certainly come back up within the year or the following year. They tend to be the teams that are at the bottom of Division 1 and at the top of Division 2. So it becomes very difficult to claw your way up into Division 1 hurling to consistently get to play it. Now, Leisure may be the exception. For the last 10 years, they've played in Division 1, but they've had to play in relegation playoffs in many of those years over the last 10 as well. So there's a definite feeling that the big teams get to play against each other. That's preparation time for the championship. And then the only real aspiration you've got, if you're slightly below that, is to draw yourself into a group where maybe you get to play against each other. So whether that be Leash, Antrim, Kerry, Offaly, Carlo over the next few years. And that has been just uh, the case for the last five or six. And this new kind of reformed league over the last few years, where particularly you've got one very strong group with the way it's set up, just sets up the Division 2 champions to be cannon fodder. We saw that with Westmead last season as well, where they lost all their games and lost some of them quite heavily. Now, for Westmead, it still meant they were at a better standard going into the Joe McDonough. But there is a definite feeling that there's a gap that's incredibly hard to try and make up for the team who come up from Division 2. 
I wonder what what is being done like what what is the level of investment in strength and conditioning what is the level of investment in uh, schools coaching what is the level of investment in development squads and who who should be footing the bill for that it should be centrally really it's like we've we've identified these counties there are enough people on the ground trying to help we've seen that they can't get beyond this there's a log jam there what's that log jam uh, it has to be investment and if there's no investment fair enough you've just decided that you don't really want those and it is actually a, we should just concentrate on the 12 teams yeah, well, look, structurally, the counties have to help themselves as well. And there has to be a, a will within the counties, particularly when we look at them slightly further down the totem pole, to actually try and kick hurling on as well. Like, it's no coincidence that when you go outside the top 16, particularly, you were looking at teams who are predominantly football counties and probably quite successful at football as well. So it's about having that balance. And that's not to say that some of these counties haven't made big efforts. And look, the GA have brought in things like hurling directors and they've had... You know, people from stronger counties go to try and help out with coaching within those who are developing. And there is a reasonable amount of funding which is made available. The problem is that in this arms race, you're looking at the Munster teams and then, say, Kilkenny and Galway particularly, who are just so far ahead from a starting position. It's incredibly difficult uh, to try and get up to that standard. All right, let's move on. Uh so uh, the controversial here starts at nine is Galway. So uh, <laughs> 12 Westmead, 11 Antrim, 10 Leash, 9 Galway. Yeah, so, okay, so Westmead won last week against Kerry, which is a good start for them. They won the Keogh Cup. I think they're probably still just behind Antrim, who put in a very credible performance against Kilkenny by all reports, because we didn't have TV cameras to show the game against Antrim and Kilkenny. I wonder how that would have felt if Antrim had actually pulled off a shot last weekend and had beaten Kilkenny. But I think Antrim, as a result, have to be just ahead of Westmead in that one. Leash lost to Tipperary, who we'll talk about when we get into the top eight. But um, Leash hurled very well, despite the fact that they played a lot in the second half with 14 men. So again, I don't think they've lost anything from defeat in that. And then I've kept Galway in ninth position, despite the fact that they had a double digits victory against Offaly last weekend to kick off things for Henry Shefflin. I will know a lot more about Galway and Galway could potentially climb if they can beat a Limerick team, maybe sniff a little bit of blood in the water this coming weekend. And if Galway get a victory, I've no doubt they're going into the top eight at that point. But I don't think... That's not how this works. They're catapulted up like they're number two or something if they beat Limerick, right? I mean, come on, you can't be like, like, uh, you need to show me something, Galway, you need to show me, oh, you've just beaten the All-Ireland Champions, greatest team of all time. I'm not not seeing enough from you, lads. I just need a little bit more. Well, spoilers here, you're not seeing Wexford go up into second place, despite the fact that they beat Limerick last week. But Galway will will move up naturally enough if they get a result against Limerick this coming weekend. I think Galway, you you can't really put them into the top eight on the back of beating the weakest team in Division 1 last week. Okay, fair enough. Okay, so so RIP your mentions again. Onto the uh, page one all right so Claire Claire on the fall here they're the team who've gone down a couple of places because a mix of factors really um they defended so loosely at Porky Cueve against Cork last weekend it was um yeah, well, Cork. In this is what happens. You can't give Cork's forward line space or allow them a game which is open because if it goes into Harlem Globetrotters style up and down hurling, Cork will beat most teams in the league and championship this year. So Clare need to tighten that up. And then they've also lost Colin Galvin, one of the best midfielders around in the championship. Unfortunately, he's had to retire. So we've lost two really great players over the last week with Park Mar in Tipperary and Colin Galvin with Clare. So they've slipped down to eighth place ahead of playing the team who are up to seventh in Wexford this weekend. So it's a really important game in uh, Division. Division 1B this weekend is in Wexford, sorry, Division 1A, which is Wexford against Clare. Wexford go up to seventh on the back of beating the All-Ireland Champions Limerick. 
don't overplay this too much because we remember Limerick last year didn't win in any of their first three games in the league and still went on uh, to clean up when Championship came around in the summer. But you have to respect what Wexford did last week, particularly with Rory O'Connor not being available with his hamstring injury, Leach in not being there. One of the real question marks about Wexford were whether they could dominate games around the middle of the field if Leach in wasn't available. Well, they showed they could last week. They tied up Aaron Galan. He didn't score from play last weekend uh, for Limerick. And maybe it starts to ask a few questions about Limerick's depth, particularly uh, when they don't have Keane Lynch available. Now, again, he's concentrating on the Fitzgibbon currently. And when he comes back in, he'll add dynamism into their midfield. But they lacked um, some, let's say, creativity within what they were doing for midfield. There was a lot of lateral passing from Limerick last week at Wexford Park. And Wexford got out by a goal. So as a result, they have to go up to seventh. I've put Dublin up to sixth, not just purely based on the Waterford result, which was a good one for them last week uh, to rook it out against a Waterford team who were going into this power rankings in second place. Very credible draw for Dublin. Also won the Walsh Cup in pre-season. Have looked good so far this year. The only doubt about Dublin is... Are they going in a bit strong at the start of the year? Like, this is a team that seems to be coming in full pelt, Maddie Kenny side for the start of the league. Where are they going to be when the round robin comes around for the Leinster Championship? And I still think the one real question mark you've got about Dublin is they don't have an inside forward that compares with what's available for the teams inside the top five. Like, what they wouldn't give for Conor Callum becoming disinterested in football and going to play hurling for a it's few worth years. It's isn't it? It's worth the call. I, I, I genuinely think if you're if you're Maddie Kenny and you already know Con as well as he does from club level, just try and convince him and say, look, Dublin are in transition in football. Do you know what you do? You've already got everything from the football. You say, look, early. I'll let you play both. You can play both. You can. We'll 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 cut our training whatever way you want. You can play both for me if you want. And then you go and have that conversation. And you see what Desi says. Well, Desi will. We know what Desi's going to say to that. What's Desi? Yeah. What's he going to say? No. Well, then he's yeah. a hurler. Then he's a footballer. Well, I don't know. Maybe not. You know, it's a hundred percent worth a call. Like, what? What would? How, how transformative would that be? Will like, I mean, where? where like, uh, Tommy Walsh said he's one of the top ten hurlers in the country. I a couple think years he said ago. he was the best. And, he, was the best. Uh, he was like doing a power ranking at that time of the year. It was uh, it was off season, no split season at that point. But um, it was certainly. Let me say, Thomas number one. Yeah, Fuller were on the run, and he was like, they were like, who's number one? Conor Callan. Hello. I remember how impressive Conor Callum was when he was playing under 21 with Dublin and obviously we've seen what he's done with Cool over the last four or five years uh, it's still very much untested though until you see him play a senior inter-county hurling it could be a totally different beast it's not necessarily a case of somebody who is a massive star at club level is going to step straight in but obviously Con has got all the conditioning with the football he's an elite athlete I would just as a hurling fan love to see it for a year or two because Dublin have got a lot right further back in the field got a good free taker it's almost like all the ingredients are there with the exception of having an inside forward who could really take him to the next level and Conor Callan could well be that player if they were looking at who's available within the county The Leinster Championship is suddenly looking a bit lit it looks a bit better than it did uh, coming out of last year because we had a few very tame games and we had an underperforming Galway team. We had Wexford looking nowhere like what they were in the two years previously. But then Wexford have started the league well. We'll judge an awful lot more about what happens in Ennis this coming weekend. Then we've got two teams just above them who I was tempted to drop but have kept them just provisionally in fifth and fourth because they won scratchy but won last weekend, which is Tipperary in fifth place. 
This is a new look Tipperary who actually moved the ball around pretty well against Leash, but never really pulled away in the game. They missed the penalty as well, which could have given them a bit of a lead in the first half. Felt like they never really shook off Leash, but still got the win in the end in Amore Park. And Kilkenny, who got their victory, which is very workmanlike against Antrim. So Tip and Kilkenny stay in fifth and fourth place, respectively. Obviously, a huge blow since we spoke last in the power rankings with Paddy Maher being forced to retire for Tipperary. He's one of those players, I think, who would have eased the transition for Colin Bonner's side and would still have been a key player for them this season. But they're going to go in a different direction and it looks like it's going to be opportunity for some of the players who were sitting on the bench for the Premier over the last couple of years. All right. Top three? Yeah. Right, so Waterford dropped down one place despite the fact that they drew against Dublin last week. Um, obviously, they're still waiting for some of their players to come back in, like Desi Hutchinson will be back in after Bally Gunners' final against Bally Hale this coming weekend. And I think a bit like we talk about Conor Callaghan, Desi Hutchinson's just so, so good at stretching play for Waterford uh, when he goes into that forward line, which is reasonably stacked already. It's not a whole lot between Waterford and Cork, but I think I respect what Cork did last week against Clare. Very good performance from them. You would expect they'll go two from two this weekend and probably run up a good score line as well so Cork just edge ahead of Waterford as a result of the two games last weekend primarily I think the real one is uh, Limerick top and then I actually have Tip and Galway pretty close in a tier below them I I just need to see it from both Waterford and from Cork I I think that Cork will be traumatised by what happened last year I don't think they're going to be able to blink that away and so Mm. that's that's what Cork are guaranteed to be better than last year aren't they in terms of quality granted the way they lost the final might scar them but they are the one team when you look at the age of the players they're going to get better this year no? I don't know I mean their most important players is the same age as a bunch of players who've recently retired yeah, Do you know. Yeah, well, like I mean, obviously, Hor- but like Horgan's still there at least. He is, he is still <laughs> he there. He's not in the cohort of players who have retired. So diminished, but. Right. Uh, look, I think Cork still have to find a few key positions on the team. I think they need to work out who's going to hurl, particularly in their half-back line. I think uh, they need to get a settled six who's going to be a defensive six to play there. Like That's what we saw in the All-Ireland final against Limerick. Limerick were able to take apart the deficiencies within the Cork defence, and Cork have got all that skill further up the field, like we saw last weekend. So, look, they're probably not going to stay a second for the entire year, but it's where you put them after the results from last weekend. And like, there was no real temptation to drop Limerick despite the defeat against Wexford last week I'm sure John Kiley will look at the amount of wides that they hit they'll look at the fact that you know Keane Lynch wasn't there in the middle of the field and he will look at the slow start last year and say they're trying to peak for Munster Championship with everything Limerick have done over the last four seasons or so they still stay number one One, one last thing we need to talk about before we go um, I know I was slagging off people from the Midlands at the start of this but that was all in good clean fun I guess hmm. uh, the people in the Midlands must be very proud and it feels a bit weird to be proud of a company but what Glenisk have done uh, in becoming the sponsors of awfully at this particular moment when the factory burned down last year and uh, it looked like production was going to stop and there was loads of cows that weren't going to be able to be milked and it was like a kind of it required a national community a local community effort to help this massive global uh, corporation and it was kind of a, a, a reminder to all of us that like everything is everything is everything everything is interlinked and um that company wouldn't be the massive success it is without the people of the Midlands in particular and they're now showing support for the GAA in Offaly at a particular moment when uh, Offaly GAA seems to be on the on the rise but really needs the injection of money that's going to come from this too and the jersey looks pretty sweet Will 
That's not bad. This is literally hot off the presses. So Jared Cleary from Glenisk, um, who was one of those people getting the company back up on their feet after the terrible fire from last year, has put up the new Offaly jersey. I'm assuming it has probably been delivered to Glenisk uh, before anyone else gets a chance to publicise it. So it's the end of Carl's being the Offaly sponsor since the early 90s. It was the longest running one in GA history at 31 years for Intercounty. But Glenisk now in the front of a new Offaly jersey, which looks pretty streamlined and clean. If you're a Glen Swilly supporter or a Credit Yard supporter, this is probably probably the template you're going to get from O'Neill's next season uh, when you get your club jersey but I actually really like uh, the new Offaly shirts and as you say um, fantastic for Nisk who very quickly after that fire were straight out to get their uh, milk products back out onto the shelves they got their yogurts um, the first uh, batch went about a week ago and they announced at the same time that they were going to be sponsors of the Offaly football and hurling teams all the way along it hasn't been a great start with Offaly's results both in football and hurling but still they're competing in Division 1 and Division 2 for next season and they're also the Ireland reigning under 20 champions so it's not a bad time uh, I think for Glenist to come on as sponsors of the Offaly team they've been big supporters locally they support their uh, local teams in Claudia Gales and in Killian Killorn currently and they've been big sponsors of Offaly Camogie over the last while so there's a strong connection between sport and Glenisk as well Yeah a properly innovative company as well who are doing good work and now putting their money where their mouth is as well and they make tasty yoghurt so it's a winner winner chicken dinner for the um and just to give them credit as well, Ger, when the fire happened, they continued to pay their staff. Like it would have been very easy for them when they were hit so hard at the time to just say we're going to temporarily lay off people, we'll get back on our feet. But they continued to pay people even when they weren't producing products at the time. All right, that's this week's power rankings. I absolutely adore them lads. I have unbelievable time from, but they're a great bunch. But it's not acceptable. Yeah, that is this week's uh, official hurling power rankings. Am I doing one last opportunity to enter our... Uh, yeah, one final opportunity to enter our competition. All this week we're running a special competition. Aer Lingus is the official airline sponsor of the Irish rugby team, bringing home advantage to wherever the team plays. And to celebrate, we have an amazing prize. We're giving away a pair of match tickets, flights and two nights accommodation to be won for this weekend's Six Nations clash between France and Ireland in Paris, as well as a signed Irish rugby jersey. The Daily winner will pick up a prize of an Ireland rugby jersey and we'll go into the draw for uh, the overall prize at 9.25. Who's this? To say that's unfair is just ridiculous and you shouldn't be asking those questions. One last time. To say that's unfair is just ridiculous and you shouldn't be asking those questions. Enter on any of our platforms and uh, we'll be making the draw in the next five minutes. So that is officially your last chance to enter all uh, courtesy of Aer Lingus, the official airline sponsor of the Irish rugby team. John Duggan is with us at 8.54 this morning. John, how are you? Jaron Owen, how are you getting on? I didn't even need to look up the score when I saw your tweet. I hate VAR. I was, I was watching the Villa game. Like, <laughs> Something bad's happened to Spurs. <laughs> Stephen Bergvine putting the ball into the net in stoppage time. And unfortunately, unlike the Leicester game, this one did not stand. And you were already celebrating? I was... Or have you learned not to celebrate? Well, after the Manchester City game, which actually turned out positively when I was in the Igo Inn in Ballybrack a couple of years ago, um, completely in devastation when Raheem Sterling... No, it was Aguero, was it, that put it in? And, and then it was a real doubt, and then you're kind of... Oh, you didn't know what to feel, even though you've been qualified for the next round of the Champions League. But uh, I, was, I was so annoyed anyway. The metaphorical television had got out the, the bedroom window by that stage after the 2-1 uh, scoreline was, was flipped on its head. There's only two things I really want to do, experiences-wise. Throw a TV out the window of a Las Vegas hotel. Now, I wouldn't do it because I'd probably get arrested for criminal damage and also be in a motorcade. <laughs> They're the two things I want to do. 
Right. So you need to become president of the United States of America or, or just a rock band would do, wouldn't it? Or maybe just, I don't know if there's any All-Ireland team, even just be on the All-Ireland bus or something like that. Who is, does like being in a St. Patrick's Day parade float count if you got a float no. to yourself? If they that, made you the Grand Marshal. Made you the Grand Marshal. How, how'd you become the Grand Marshal? I don't know. They might not have one for this year, John. It's, yeah. it's back on. Can you apply? Do you have one of those kind of, I don't know, long sticks you need? You twist up and down. Tipping, tipping Luke List is probably worthy of becoming Grand Marshal, is it not? Yeah. Well, that's yesterday's news. And the Phoenix Open does start today. And uh, that's a, an opportunity for me to plug virtual insanity. But I've always, I've always loved the, uh, the, the, the motorcades that go by, like with all the dignitaries and the flags and the cars. And you, the way that you're standing at the bus stop and you just get drenched by the mud of the car in that limousine. I want to be in that limousine with the windows blacked out. Does the Pope still have the Pope mobile? That'd be a nice one. I think they ended up in the Wax Museum, didn't it? Did it? Nice. Uh, the, the <laughs> I was just thinking. I think that would be the nice, that would be the way that you could travel in a motorcade. Would be via Pope Mobile to be able to stand up. Did they get the Pope Mobile after he got shot, or what, did was he shot through the Pope Mobile? Or is that I thought, I thought it was for like a you know just for good kind of posture, just sick sitting down all day, and he's like, I need to stand up while I'm doing these motorcades. I mean, it's, t- it's tough. It must be tough work. It is. I mean. That's why they all live so long. Mm-hmm. Um, where, <laughs> There's two popes alive now. You don't have a motorcade thing, guys, do you? You don't have a... No, he's not a pope anymore. <sighs> Once a pope, always a pope. No, I don't think so. No? I think, I think that... Did they not boot him out? So that, not, that was certainly like the plot of, of the two popes, but... Uh, blind eyes turned. The people are like, can't be turning blind eyes because that's kind of... Yeah, well, but I think that was kind of more a reflection on his job as a pope, wasn't it? <sighs> I, I, I lost... Uh, season two lost me. Mm. Where are we going? Uh, well, 15 goals scored in four games last night, lads. So Manchester City, two new winners over Brentford. Uh, 13 wins out of 14, 12 points clear. Liverpool had the chance to cut that gap. If they beat Leicester tonight, you'd expect that they might, given the way Brendan Rodgers' side had begun to tank. Wolves against Arsenal this evening. And also last night, as you said, Villa three uh, leads three. Coutinho with a goal and two assists for Jacob Ramsey, who got the other goals. But Villa still have work to do defensively if Leeds are scoring three times. And we had Adam Ida setting up uh, Taimo Puki for a goal after 39 seconds for an orange against Palace. That was a one-all draw with Saha equalising and then scuffing a penalty wide. And then, as I said, Spurs to Southampton three. Hassan Hootel said it was the best he ever saw Southampton play, which was uh, some statement really to make. 23 shots, 10 on target against a Tottenham team that were at times desperately shambolic defensively. Like Ward-Prowse twice put magic balls in for headers and they scored from both of them after being 2-1 down so there's no excuse for that really as good as Ward Prowse is with um, a dead ball situation so Conte's got work to do he's 27 has his, his has his move window closed I don't think so um, I think I think like Pierre-Emile Hoybier struggled last night and Prowse and uh, Ward Prowse and Romeo have been very much when they're playing for Southampton they're they're solid in that middle and I would be like a club like Newcastle, for example, could do with War Price, I think, at the moment. Yeah, okay. That's when you think about it, sorry, they, they are the answer to everything really when it comes to this, isn't it? Uh, transfer market says his value is 28.8 million, but it's not. Like, he's an English player, so therefore you have to spend 50 million to get him, right? Oh, he's yeah, a 50 million player. Is, like, is he an English player, though? He is. He's, he's obviously English, but is he an England Nine player? Nine caps, two goals. Yes. Does he? Does he get selected for Qatar? He didn't even get selected in Nathan's top ten outside the top ten last week. He's, he's a fringe player. But yeah. I think that if he goes to Newcastle and Newcastle sign like whoever the next Vlahovic is, uh, say they get Lewandowski because he's like, I'll take a million a week. Of course I will. You want and someone to put the ball on the top of his head? Yeah, Kieran Trippier can do it. 
Trippier and more Prowse. And more Prowse. Why not? Why not Slettin for England? They're doing so well. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, like a, it does mean it was quite a lock, stock, and two smoking barrels, Jer. Yeah, it's uh, supposed to be cookie cutter. Random England fan coked up. <laughs> is <laughs> is um. I'm this is different to the hype from I'm James Ward Price a couple of years ago. The visions of McDonald's in Russia where all the England fans are congregating. Yeah. Ahead of one of the games. They're all in McDonald's. Good times. With all the flags laid out in front of it. It's the only language they could speak, right? I mean, that's, that, that, that's the sort of conquest that we're uh, after at the moment, John, with our 2028 bid with England. Maybe if uh, we get the FAI dignitaries to go to that same McDonald's and they, the tricolour outside the front, the bid will come home for 2028 and, and Russia's bid will die. Yeah, no, we'll be okay, I think. I think uh, there's been enough indications from UEFA that that is a done deal, that we'll get that 2028 Euros. Although it might be only at the Viva Stadium if it's just 24 teams, which is interesting. Uh, Andy Farrell set to name the same 15 that played against Wales for the game against France on Saturday. So it means Ian Henderson and Robbie Henshaw will not start, if you believe everything you read. Um, is that right? Who knows? Like Henderson, could he add more physicality to the second row? Is Henshaw one of our best players anyway and on fitness? But then it gets hard, like Jeff Hurst would give you an example, it's hard to drop a winning team. Uh, so we're going to get that team dropping shortly. Jack Gower, great performance from him, 12th overall in the Alpine combined skiing at the Winter Olympics in Beijing. Seamus Power and Gray McDowell are in the Phoenix Open on the PGA Tour later. Jonathan Caldwell, level par opener at the Raoul Alheima Classic. That is seven shots behind the leader, Ricardo Ueva. And racing is a bit later today, a 1.45 start, a third is maybe we're getting a bit of stretch in the evenings. Uh, the, that jumps beating is on a little bit later than normal. So that's what kind of, what's kind of going on, lads. Uh, I was looking through the Spurs team that played in his best ever season, 2016-17. All de Vireld and Vertonghen, you really miss those two. And uh, that, that they were the fulcrum of that team. Um, Conte was, was singing the praises of the centre-back who just came back into the team. after Christian Romero, yeah. Yeah. He said he was like a new signing. He's exactly yeah. the type of player I want. But then um, if you've got Davies, who's been there a long time, and if you've got Sanchez beside him, and if you've got a midfield that's quite porous, there's not much Christian Romero can do. You feel pretty deflated after last night, it sounds like. Well, like I'm always, uh, as I said before in the slot, I'm, I'm the most emotional Tottenham Hotspur fan. So, like, we beat another club at the weekend. They'll be, like, doing, you know, singing in the rain dances. Um, so, look... Uh, there's levels of disappointment. It's a cross and bearing for 36 years now. So, but it's just levels of disappointment and deflation. And you're always, you're always going to be that level of being um, let down. But at this, is at, the, at this morning, I'm kind of feeling... Like, I, I just had the visions of Antonio Conte just like throwing his keys on, on the table and just walking out the door. I don't, though. I actually think that the two kids that they got in from Juventus was really important because it was a sign that they're backing him and his vision. And, like, look, Everton signed some players... Uh, at the end under for Rafa and they got rid of Luca Dean so who knows but it did feel like they were like okay then grand go on have these this is the pep talk you're giving me as a Spurs fan I appreciate that I, I think uh, there's a chance you know yeah I think there's a chance if they could strengthen the summer but I suppose Spurs will be the biggest steal of all time um, if they get fourth and because everybody else is messing up around them uh, that is still a possibility and that I suppose is why there's a little bit of frustration that we threw away a, a 2-1 lead with what 12 minutes to go a 6-pointer against Wolves at the weekend and then Manchester City big couple of games for Conte yeah uh, Bruno Lage doing a great job there and look Harry Kane's playing well again and it's just a case of seeing improvements now over the next while 
Uh, the funny thing is, like Spurs are in the fifth round of the cup against Middlesbrough away, but I wouldn't have any confidence that Spurs could beat Liverpool, Manchester City or Chelsea at the moment. And that's how far the top three are from the rest. Even in a one-off game in a cup? Uh, no. At the moment, like we saw with the League Cup semi-final, Spurs are absolutely so far off at, at Stamford Bridge against Chelsea and even at home. Yeah. It's true at the moment, but then that could be two months away. Son and Kane could be in good form. Nothing would nothing would please me more than to go to an FA Cup final. I've never been to one. It's been thirty-one years since Spurs were in one. I would love it, Kevin Keegan style. I would love to be there. Um, and I've even thought about it now. I mean, I'm even putting it in the bucket list, but not sure. Travel in a cavalcade, Spurs in a cup final, and throw a TV at the window in Vegas. Yeah. I think you could probably you could probably organise all three of those. Oh well, by the end of the year, hopefully. Because um, I'm, tr- I'm planning to go to Las Vegas in November, so for three days, which is probably three too many. Have you been before? Who is your Who is your call if you get arrested? Do you have a, an American attorney ready to go? <laughs> Lionel Hutz. Um, uh, probably my sister. No, you can't ring. You can't ring a family member from oh, Vegas and right. say, okay. "I'm on TV at the window." <laughs> you can't do that. Here, I'm in jail in Vegas. What can I do? Yeah. <laughs> like, um, probably the probably somebody from an Irish bar that I'd met her you know the, the, the proprietor of some Irish bar or Irish hotel you know I, I come in Irish uh, Blarney spirit look you know you're, we're all we're all countrymen here just got a bit of spot of bother here got a, got a bit carried away lost a few blackjack hands was actually watching Spurs in the TV room and uh, and I was still I was kind of actually took the TV and threw it out the window do, do you think that it would be enough of a story to make a Netflix documentary do you think it'll just stop at Daily Mail headline where Irishman goes to Vegas with premeditated move to throw a television out of a window <laughs> comma follows through well generally it, it, it's the um, the rock star's behaviour but unfortunately can't play any guitars or basses or anything like that so uh, it's probably going to more make the, um, the Irish Daily Star the sun rather than the mail you know but uh, don't think I'd be able to stretch beyond maybe an hour for Netflix Owen but unlike you Owen because your travels around the world starting in Wales like you could have done an hour on Wales last week I'm sure there's many more to come I want. I, I might go to Vegas with you John yeah well if, if Virtual Insanity does go that very well you know that's it if, if, if you double our money this year at Virtual Insanity I'll spend all that, that winnings on, uh, on Vegas and you can bring me to basketball what I'll do is I'll turn up for the last five minutes because as we know as I always say to you on the show the only thing that matters in basketball is the last five minutes yeah shame there's no team it's five minutes past nine here on OTBM I'm going to inject some seriousness to proceedings OTBM and brought to you every morning live by Gillette good morning start with Gillette put your best face forward with their new and improved razors we'd love to hear from you 087-9180-180 is the WhatsApp number we're going to talk Super Bowl with Mike Carlson uh, if you need a cheat sheet or if you have strong feelings one way or another then we'd love to hear from you uh, it is time for us to announce our daily winner of our brilliant Erlingus competition so daily prizes of uh, an Ireland jersey the overall prize which our daily winners are going to go into is a trip to Paris this weekend flights accommodation match tickets and the opportunity to see France stuff Ireland Ireland beat France whatever it is it's going to be a classic uh, our winners uh, today's voice Say that's unfair is just ridiculous, and you shouldn't be asking those questions. Who's that, Owen? Who's that? Very annoyed. That will be Edward Jones. Eddie Jones, Mr. Eddie Jones, come on down. Jamie Flanagan, congratulations to you. You've been uh, selected. You are our daily winner, and you've won an Irish rugby jersey, and you're going to go into the draw at half past nine this morning for the amazing prize. Flights to Paris, accommodation, and tickets to France, Ireland, all courtesy of our friends at Aer Lingus. So in the draw, Declan Buckley, Jason O'Shea, Aaron Sweetman, and Jamie Flanagan from earlier in the week as well. Owen must surely be raging. He was flown over to Wales for dry scones and not over to Paris for cheese boards and red wine. 
I'd say I don't think I, I don't think I'll be allowed on a plane to Paris. To be honest, I think that's the, the subtext here, isn't it? Well, uh, there's been an issue with you in Paris before. You, Correct. You, other people say you'll always have Paris, and you will be like, oh, I'll always have Paris. It's kind of like a, a millstone that follows you around. One hundred percent. So while I would like to be dining on uh, French cheese right now and French wine, uh, I just can't. Uh, I'm not allowed back. Fair enough. Seven minutes past nine. Here's what's coming up on uh, OTB Sports Radio today. OTB Gold at one o'clock is Declan Murphy from Centaur. Leaders' questions with Stuart Lancaster at three. Our retro panel is capturing sporting moments. I think that's the photographer's panel. At six, it's OTB Gold. Jerry Eisenberg on Muhammad Ali. Great stuff in that. And OTB tonight, live from seven. Of course, it's uh, Thursday night, so that means Thursday night football with John Giles. More rugby and plenty more to get your teeth stuck into ahead of the hurling weekend as well. We're back after these talking Super Bowl. Mike Carlson. OTB. Yeah, in the ad break there, you're listening to Paul Devlin from Kilku talking to Willow Callaghan and Michael Verney on the Club Championship show, talking about the great Mickey Moran, who's managing Kilku this weekend in the All-Ireland Club final. I think it's his fifth senior All-Ireland final and still looking for his first victory, but has quietly put together one of the greatest managerial careers in Gaelic football. Um, when you think of the, the teams that he's guided to, so frequently underdog teams uh, getting to finals and overachieving and so I'm really hopeful that uh, this weekend they get over the line. Stephen O'Keefe of Ballygunner also joined the show this week and you can get that podcast in OTB GAA. Just search for the OTB GAA stream wherever you get your pods. Uh, on Saturday, uh, the 12th of February, the All-Ireland Club Senior Hurling Championship Final, Ballyhale Shamrock versus Ballygunner, Croke Park, 3 o'clock, followed by the football, Kilku versus Kilmacook Croaks in Croke Park at 5. Both those games on TG Car. Club Championship coverage on Off the Ball is brought to you by AIB, proud sponsors of the Football, Hurling and Camogie All-Ireland Club Championships. And you can check out the hashtag The Toughest for more. 12 minutes past nine this morning. Time for us to turn our attention to Hollywood, where uh, for the second time in a row, there will be a home team in the Super Bowl. And I'm delighted to say Mike Carlson is with us. Mike, good morning to you. As Hollywood Mike Carlson to you. But instead of Iron Mike, you've changed your name. The <laughs> yeah, perfect I've, I've changed... Yeah, I changed my name. I just want to say, if, if Owen or, or even you get in trouble in the States, give me a ring, because a couple of the guys I played with in college are ambulance chasers now in the States. Okay, well, that is good. Very good advice. <laughs> Very good advice. Thank there's you, a, There's a big kind of uh, red emoji uh, in case of emergency break glass beside your number from now on, Mike. <laughs> yeah. I could be your interpreter in Paris if you you like that because that's kind of like the it's like there's two Super Bowls this weekend isn't it It, they're all over the place this is one of those um, annual all time great sporting weekends Uh, there's there's a nagging fear I have though that a team like the Bengals has got here and it's been a great underdog story the whole way through but so frequently a team like this actually ends up getting crushed in the final because they just can't deal with the pomp and circumstance and they they kind of reach the end of their road whereas it doesn't feel that way on the other side with the Rams you have a, a team who's back in this who knows what's happening who's at home sleeping in their own beds who has you know I, I think a significantly better coaching staff am I, am I wrong to fear a blowout? Uh, well, I think th- there's three scenarios, basically. Um, the one that's eliminated is the ra- is the Bengals winning in a blowout. Uh, I can see a lot of ways in which this game becomes a close one in the end. Um, and most of those involve the Bengals coming from a, a deficit during the game, as they have done at each stage of the playoffs and, and actually in, in the weeks before. Um, but 
you're absolutely right that a lot of this uh, Rams team has been there before. They are at home, although a home field advantage is not in a Super Bowl is not as huge as it might be in other games because of the the ticket allotment and um, and and the sleeping in your own bed thing. I think probably gets overrated because they do put the team in a hotel so that they don't get up to any any hijinks, um, you know, beforehand. But I, I think the Rams are definitely the better team. Um, you've had this great run of playoff wins um, for the for the Bengals. The last one against Kansas City. It's really, in a way, hard to judge how much of it was was the Bengals playing really well, and how much of it was the Chiefs kind of self destructing. Um, not directly as an effect of anything that Cincinnati did, but you know the the, the comparison I've been making, and and I've seen other people, and not that I'm saying that Joe Burrow is Tom Brady or that the Bengals are the Patriots, but it's a lot like that 2001 Patriots team um, that sort of squeaked through in the playoffs, had a lot of luck uh, if you consider the tuck, the tuck rule game um, against Oakland. And then when they got to the Super Bowl, came up with a great game plan that they executed to, to slow the Rams down and managed to hold on and win that game. The Rams were still in a position to win it, um, but Brady engineered the last field goal drive. I, I see something like that there, but I, I agree with you that this is not a Bill Belichick kind of coaching staff, Zach Taylor's coaching staff, and, and even more to the point you know, he was a Sean McVay assistant, so I don't think McVay will be um, – in a sense, overwhelmed, as you might argue he was when they when um, the Rams lost to the Patriots a couple of years ago, 13 to three. Um, let's let's concentrate then on the, on the Bengals first. Right. So uh, Joe Burrow comes out of college a bit later than many people uh, do. To So he's fairly similar age to some of the younger quarterbacks who have much more experience. I think he's relatively same age as Sam Darnold, for example. And his college career is this kind of remarkable, uh, has a remarkable ending to it. But at the start, it, it wasn't amazing. It wasn't lights out. But something happens to him, kind of, he grows into a full, deeper understanding of it, blows out his knee in the first year. And as a result, they end up getting a really high draft pick again. So they, they pick twice very high and they've done really, really well in the last two drafts. So something within the building, apart from not blowing the pick for Burrow, is going well beyond knowing not to blow the pick. Yeah, and it would be interesting to know because, you know, lots of people were saying that they had the chance to get Penny Sewell, um, who was the best offensive tackle in the draft. And obviously Burrow had blown out his knee because he was being sacked so often. And and even this year he was sacked, I think, 51 times in the regular season. He was sacked nine times and they won the playoff game against Tennessee. So So the question was, do you provide him with a better line to protect him better? Or do you go for his favorite college receiver, um, Jamar Chase, and watching them in Burroughs last year at LSU, they, they beat Alabama and they beat Clemson in the college playoffs, basically with Burrow and Chase playing pitch and catch. I mean, they the two of them overwhelmed those teams who were better teams on paper, like the Rams are. Um, so it was an interesting move. Um, and the other thing is, and people I think overlook it because we talk about the Rams being a team of superstars who they've gone out and mortgaged the future to sign. But the Bengals are notoriously a cheap team. It's owned by the Brown family and the Brown family run it like a family business. But they went out and they were very active in the free agent market this past year. 
you know, Trey Hendrickson being the big ticket item, but they, you know, they, they improved their defense on, on a lot of levels. And it was almost as if they sensed they had something they had something good there. They gave Burrow the weapon he needed. They went out in free agency and um, strengthened their defense. And I think Zach Taylor felt that he could survive with Burrow under a lot of pressure because that's the kind of of heavy of heady sorry quarterback um, that he is. You know, and and he he's willing to stand in the pocket. He he's got a bit of mobility and can make things happen. Is this likely to change the dynamic of how teams draft and how they recruit over the next little while, kind of handcuffing a quarterback to a receiver and looking at what they've done at college level? Because often uh, a man becomes an island at the quarterback position as a young quarterback for an NFL team and they perhaps haven't paid too much attention to how to allow him to hit the ground running, whereas this partnership obviously has been copied and pasted from Louisiana and it's worked spectacularly. Yeah, yeah, and... and um you know, one of the one of the dreads in in the NFL, one of the real anomalies, is that the great college quarterbacks tend to go to the worst teams in the league, and they're often left hanging to dry. If you if you think of Trevor Lawrence this past year um, with with Jacksonville, so you know, I, I think this year they probably go offensive line will be their priority. Um, when you look at their drafts, and Jer said they, they've had a series of good drafts. You know, T. Higgins and Tyler Boyd, who are the second and third receivers, you know, were both high draft picks. Um, Jesse Bates, the, who's a really good safety, was was a high draft pick for them. So they've done very well. Sam Hubbard, who was a key player against Kansas City, um, they've done really well in in those drafts. And I think I think that they will look at the need to improve because with the best will in the world, they got a lot of breaks in winning their division. Um, injury and COVID really, really decimated uh, both Cleveland and Baltimore. And Pittsburgh, of course, were were running with Frankenstein's monster at quarterback. You know, Ben <laughs> Ben, ben Roethlisberger, um, <laughs> you know, creaky creaky spare parts keeping his body going. So you know, it was it was almost like a perfect storm for them to be able to win that win that division. And um, I, I just looking at it realistically i would love to see the bengals win um the line i think has gone from four to four and a half overnight but i thought it would be a bit higher than that so uh, you know I'm, I'm i'm probably going to take the bengals with the points and hope that they keep it close and, and evan mcpherson kicks a couple of 50 yard field goals because that to me is the best prop bet around is, is to take mcpherson kicking field goals I, I I understand. I, I I can see the rationale for that. The the difficulty is that um, if you think back even to the the final was a week a week eighteen when the Rams were actually killing the Forty ers in the first half. The, that team that offense was fairly explosive. They've been explosive yes. in getting off to good starts since as well. And I would be concerned that this time, if the Bengals start slow, as they have done so so frequently recently, and they've, they've come back furiously and brilliantly in, in games that really drags everybody in watching them go, and this is great. I just feel like this time in McVeigh, if he, if he does get a lead, he's going to be able to exploit that lead because uh, OBJ, turns out, is still OBJ. OBJ is, and, and that pickup, you know, is is probably um, you know, people make a big deal of, of their their going out and, and trading draft picks for for Jalen Ramsey and and for Stafford, but really it was the in season pickups this year, Von Miller on the defense and OBJ on the offense that kept 
kept the team going. And, you know, they needed a replacement for Robert Woods. Uh, people forget that they were seven and one at the point where Robert Woods got hurt. And then they had a tough time adjusting. They had they picked up Deshaun Jackson, but he wasn't really the answer. After they got Beckham and after he acclimated to this kind of offense, he looks like the old Odell Beckham, you know, and, and not the guy who was who was just not contributing in, in first New York and, the, and, and then Cleveland. But, you know, the game against San Francisco, Francisco, you mentioned, was the first time in McVay's NFL career that he had lost a game where he led at halftime. So so the question is, does that mean now he can lose other games or does it mean that we'll revert back to form? And if he has the halftime lead, he'll 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 be able to hang on to it. I thought that he tried really hard um, to lose that game against the 49, but not that game, but the second game um, in the, in the conference championship against the 49ers, he and Stafford, you know, both gave the 49ers opportunities to win that game, but the 49ers in a sense were trying just as hard not to win it. Um, and, and they were lucky there. Uh, but like I said, at the beginning, the Rams are, are the better team in both phases Um you know, not on paper, but but by if you watch the if you watch the way the season progressed. Um, so Cincinnati's probably in with a puncher's chance, as, as it were. Uh, and it, it's real. It's really hard to think that they can. The Rams could contrive not not to win this game. Um, you know, they they've so much firepower there. Cup and Cup and Beckham. Um, you know, I I suspect that they try to run the ball a bit because I think they think that their offensive line will be able to do that against um, a three-man front that the, that the Bengals present. But but the matchup that really stands out to me as being the one that decides the game, and it's all in the Rams' favor, is the Rams' defensive line against the Bengals' offensive line, which is their weak point, the Bengals' offensive line. Um, they would like to run the ball, and you saw how they kept running on first down against the Chiefs even when they were behind. Uh, simply because that's what their line does better than than protect Burrow. But you've got Aaron Donald in the middle, who's the best defensive lineman in the league, and and basically has to be double teamed at all times. Um, the, one of the main reasons the Patriots beat them in the Super Bowl was that Joe Tooney single blocked Donald the whole game. They didn't double team him, and that left them free to do other things. Then you've got um, Von Miller and. Um, Leonard Floyd on the edges and Floyd was another free agent they signed. And then after one year, they gave him a big deal um, because he played so well. And with Miller there, he's playing even better. Um, So you've got inside rush and outside rush and, and Greg Gaines, the other defensive tackle, because he's always single teamed. He's a big load and he's quick. So you've got to basically, you can get, you can present a four man rush without having to bring extra, extra blitzers in order to pressure the quarterback. And that means you can lie back and cover. Uh, and you've got Jalen Wilson, uh, sorry, Jalen Ramsey back there to cover. So, you know, uh, I, I'm really curious to see how, how they, how they work this. If they do just stick with that rush and do they, do they put Ramsey on chase or do they put Ramsey on T Higgins and double team chase, uh, put another corner on chase and put a safety over him uh, and try to negate them that way. If they can negate both of those options, Joe Burrow doesn't have a whole lot. I mean, not the Boyd's not good. Uh, and if he has uh, um, Ozama, the tight end back who got hurt, um, you know, that, that would be, that would be good news for them. But um 
that would be that to me is something I, I just see it's inevitable. Yeah, you know, it, the, it sounds like you're talking yourself into uh, the Rams winning a close game. That's that's the way I look at it. Yeah, I mean, if if um, and that may be a little bit of my my heart wanting it to be a good game and my heart wanting the the Bengals to you know make a good showing of it because you, you, they're hard not to like um, given given the run that they've had. But but yeah, I just can't get away from the idea that the Rams are going to win it. Like what you're talking about there is probably going to be not a replica, but it's going to be close to what Burrow experienced against the Titans. Like it has that experience where he gets sacked the most times in a playoff game and, and wins the game in whatever 50, 60 years. Like, does that experience bring on a quarterback like him to the point where he's like, screw it, it doesn't matter if our offensive line is crap. I can withstand that. And we've won a playoff game already in these circumstances. Yeah, I, I think you're absolutely right. He, he seems to be able to shake that, shake that stuff off, you know, and, and given that he had such a serious injury last season because he was being sacked all the time, you know, it sometimes creates when I was talking about quarterbacks going to the bad teams in the draft, it, it create you get like um, um, Carr when he was in Houston, um, David Carr, you know, and he was sacked 67 times his rookie year. He was never the same guy after that. Uh, you, you learn bad habits to try to save your life, but that doesn't seem to have occurred to to, um, to Burrow. And he's got a great set of receivers so he can, you know, get rid of the ball quickly and um and try to and try to keep himself standing up for for most of the game but like i said it it just seems like the rams you know inevitably we're going to slow joe mixon down slow the run game down and then come at burrow and and if they take a lead and i agree with with jared that um you know the rams are quick starters they do tend to play well in the first quarter and i think they win the first quarter if you're looking for another good prop bet um but if they take a good sized lead and they force Cincinnati out of that run first program. Cincinnati's in a lot of trouble. Mike, for people in this part of the world, this is going to be the first Super Bowl in quite some time where they'll turn it on and you won't be on the television coverage on, on the Sunday night. Uh, how disappointed are you about this, first of all? And I guess in, in, in one sense, how is this going to change your entire experience of Super Bowl? Because between Channel 4 and BBC, you did become a, a staple of people <laughs> flicking on the TV at 10 or 11 o'clock on, on this February Sunday night. Yeah, well, you know, I was really looking forward to going to LA, but but actually, the BBC coverage is going to be from um, from studio in London anyway. But but yeah, I mean, it's it's so much more fun to do it on air um, than sitting sitting at home or you know or sitting with sitting with friends or even out out in the bar um, are watching it because you you. You, you can you can take a little time to analyze as it goes on, which is the thing. I, you know, you can look at a replay. You can ask them to show you something a, a second time, so you get a better better idea of it. And and of course, there's nothing like being in the stadium, both for the atmosphere, but also for the usually the better view of the game that you have. Um, you know, it, if if you know the game, you know that people like to look at what they call coaches tape or, or all 22 tape, which which is a high camera that shows you everything that's happening on the field. And in some games, when you're in that nice commentary position where you can see that, you can see things that are going to happen before they do because you you see the whole formation you you see how deep the safeties are which you can't see on the on the um coverage camera and it, it's just it just makes makes your commentary life so much easier and your understanding of the game so much easier but you know um plus working with Nat and OC uh and Jason is fun i mean you know 
and and when Chappers is, was hosting it, it's the same way. You you just have a good time um, in between you, the bits on camera when you're talking about the game, occasionally arguing about the game. Um, you know, I I just love it. It's 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 the greatest thing in the world. I just think I was really lucky to do it for so many years. So, so what is the plan for Sunday then? Um, actually, um, I was asked not to take any other jobs on Sunday for reasons I won't I won't go into, but. Um, but um it means i'll i'll be watching it at home probably um and uh or or at best with a couple of neighbors who have a a big screen tv um which i don't i'm going to i'm going to safely <laughs> i am old school to the end i'm going to safely assume that that joe buck will bring you in via video link during the the commentary <laughs> yeah well, wouldn't that wouldn't that be <laughs> Wouldn't that be a kick? Um, yeah, my, my, my I, I, I suspect if, if Joe Buck was going to bring somebody in from from Britain, it would be uh, one of the people who works for NFL UK, uh, just to make sure they stayed on message about uh, uh, Brian Flores at all. We didn't even get into that, but that is the the main story yeah, this we, week as we well. We can talk about that next week. Definitely, good stuff, Mike. Thanks a million for joining us. Cheers. Oh, thanks, guys. Yeah, enjoy the game, and, and you know, go Ireland on Saturday. Thanks a million. Take care. Yeah. Bye. bye. Mike Carson there giving us his thoughts about um, the game at the weekend and uh, the same experience for all of us, I think, watching it at home late night, early morning, Monday. OTBAM brought to you live every morning by Gillette. Good morning. Start with Gillette. Put your best face forward with their new and improved razors. Uh, right. It is time to announce our winner of this week's amazing prize on OTBAM. It's all thanks to Aer Lingus. So it is flights to Paris, two nights accommodation, a signed Ireland rugby jersey, and most importantly of all, tickets to France against Ireland in the Six Nations at the Stade de France. We've uh, had four daily winners this week. Whoever doesn't win the overall prize here, by the way, has already won an, an Ireland rugby jersey. So Monday's winner was Declan Buckley. Tuesday's winner was Jason O'Shea. Wednesday's winner was Aaron Sweetman. And Thursday's winner was Jamie Flanagan. They're all on the line at the moment. We've done the draw and we've picked our winner out of the hat. How long should I let this go? Just like leave. There comes a point where dead air just gets brought off the air. So can we like push the boat out on this? How long do you think it will be before the alarm sets off? Can we get another drum roll? And the winner is... Aaron Sweetman. Aaron, are you there? Good morning, Aaron. Hi, lad. How are you doing? I'm doing much better now. You've got a weekend in Paris ahead of you. Unbelievable. That's so good, lad. Thanks for letting I'm buzzing. Who are you going to bring? Uh, well, I was supposed to be going for dinner on Saturday night with my girlfriend for Valentine's, so I'll have to break the news to her that we're off to Paris instead. <laughs> She's going to think that you planned this and that you're going to propose, so you just better be careful and make sure that doesn't come across. <laughs> Jesus, I never thought of that. <laughs> you landed me in a there now, <laughs> Well, maybe you will. Who knows? Maybe what we're doing is uh, we're, we're adding to the general joie de vivre. Paris on a Saturday night is very romantic. Either best to look with that or just be careful, whichever way, whatever way that's supposed to go. I don't know. Is the ring included in the prize as well? No, but it sounds like you're planning <laughs> it. Are you? Is there anything you want to tell her here? I'll save that for the weekend. Listen, congratulations. Do you think we're going to win? Oh, yeah, of course. I think the way we're playing the last couple of games, lads, it's a good feeling. Well. I, I've, I've never been to a Six Nations game either, so it's not the worst. Ah, look, that's great. That's great. I'm delighted for you. And uh, you will have a great weekend. Just don't get too carried away with the result if we do win, you know, or else, you know, right the moment, then sure, a little bit of history will be made in your lives. Who knows? There's, there's no one better than getting carried away than the Irish, is there? So <laughs> it'll be tough, but we'll do our best.
Aaron, congratulations. Aaron Sweetman was Wednesday's winner and courtesy of Aer Lingus, he's off to Paris for a romantic weekend, it turns out, with uh, rugby, two nights accommodation, a signed Ireland jersey and uh, tickets to France against Ireland and a bit of romance in the air, it sounds like, as well. There's definitely... Um Definitely, I'd say big scorelines or good positive scorelines in France that have prompted um, people to get down on one knee in the past. Like I'm sure it's happened. <laughs> Spur of the moment. Yeah. Oh, wake up the next morning, going. Well, we did win the game at least. <laughs> well, the thing is, at least I mean the record in France hasn't been amazing. Maybe it's gone the other way in a lot of occasions. I mean, I, I don't want to offer immediate commentary on somebody we've never known, but it sounds like there's a little bit of a... Yeah. yeah it's not the worst it's, idea you've had there. It, I mean, every, everything's on the table when you just want a free trip to Paris, I think. OTBAM is brought to you live every morning by Gillette. Good morning, start with Gillette. Put your best face forward with our new and improved razors. Tomorrow morning, talking Liverpool, Six Nations with Alan Quinlan. Our GA Quick Picks and the crappy quiz is making a comeback. Have you written it yet? No. Uh, Send in questions, everyone. Oh, yeah. Who, what's the best place? Send in your questions. You, you actually want postcards? or well, well, It's too late now uh, to get them before... I mean, there's happening. other quizzes coming in the future. There are, there are but look all, all I care about is tomorrow <laughs> I don't care about next week Owen lives in the, the prison of a perpetual now yeah exactly. you can send some in for next week if you would like you can do if you want I guess future me will be happy with that this week's me wouldn't doesn't really care less to be honest alright OTB AM with Gillette put your best face forward with our new and improved razors